Warning, we're going to be discussing events for currently running weekly anime. If you want to avoid spoilers for certain shows, there are timestamps in the description. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to the Time Sync Anime Podcast, the show that is just a show, I guess. I don't really have anything creative or witty to say. It's a show that definitely comes out every week with no interruptions. Yes, no interruptions whatsoever. Not like uh, not like getting sick or uh, having wisdom teeth pulled has ever stopped us before. Yeah. Well, no, it's not my old... fault. Fucking yeah. <laughs> Longview, uh, Washington has been having like a ridiculous plague going around. It's getting everyone sick. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so yeah, let's address the let's address that. So we're back. We so it's good to have everybody back. It's good to be back. If you listened to us last week, we just released a quick thing, just kind of telling news for that week. We didn't record an actual official podcast episode. We just weren't feeling great. So mm-hmm. that's why we just released yeah. a quick thing. Uh, so thanks to everybody who's still patient with us and still here. It's good to be back. Let's get right into news. Rex, what do we have? Uh, first of all, I'm Jay. This is Rex. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to forget that again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, we got a couple announcements for second seasons this week. Uh, first of all, there is uh, Reincarnated as a Slime. Got a second season slated for... 2020. 2020, yeah, 2020 think. was it? Yeah, I think yeah. so. That's a show I still... Know, both of us still need to catch up on because like, uh, we were watching it originally when it first started running. Uh, the beginning was pretty boring. Yeah, it just... And what we've heard is that, yeah, it does get a lot better as soon as uh, Reimaru gets their actual body. Yeah, I think it started introducing all these like interesting characters that we saw in the opening and stuff. Like, it's got crazy good reviews. Like, yeah. For as far as it's gone so far. Yeah, I just... Uh, for me, it just didn't really do much to really capture my interest. I was yeah. like, okay, it's another it's another isekai affair. It's just this time he's a slime. Yeah, Woo. it's like the first two episodes were really interesting. Yeah. And then it just kind of got on, got into, oh, I'm going to go to a dwarf town and I'm going to... Or the goblins, a recruiting army, blah, 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 blah. It was just kind of like boring power fantasy stuff. Yeah, I mean... And I hear that it starts to get a little bit more interesting after Rimuru actually gets his body, so... Mm-hmm. So it's definitely something that we might have to take a look back at. I mean, yeah, I definitely plan on watching it, for sure. Yeah. Cells at Work, also getting a second season. Not, yep. Not I, really sure when that's supposed to be for them. Um, there hasn't been any announcement for when, exactly? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe, but I, I haven't seen it. Uh, that's another show, uh, pretty much in the same area of uh, as Reincarnated as a Slime. Mm. Like, I, like, I really liked uh, Cells at Work. I just didn't really... But for the same, for me, it was just a matter of I didn't really feel like talking about it on a weekly basis, <laughs> yeah. and it just uh, it just got a little bit I don't know it just wasn't really like good for the format of the show. I how, think how much did we did we watch? I think we watched like a few episodes. I think it was like it. three or four episodes. Yeah, I liked Cells at Work. Do not get me wrong, I actually liked that yeah. show. It was a lot of fun. It was super adorable. Platelet Chan must be protected at all costs. <laughs> yeah, it was it, it was very like info infotastic or whatever the term is mm-hmm. like there was a lot of like there was a lot of narration about the body and yeah and it's just like it, it was very just it's just fun to watch yeah and nobody really wants to talk about it except for memes yeah exactly memes are the universal form of communication i guess the big announcement uh being re-zero finally getting a second season finally i've been waiting so long yeah they, they've been kind of dipping in and out of it with i think they have like two ovas now yeah, yeah, uh, I think so. They've been like judging, uh, probably judging uh, interests, see mm-hmm. if people still want to watch it or not. Which it turns out, 
Everybody fucking wants to watch it. It's so they finally announced the second season. Is this a surprise to literally anybody? Yes, people wanted to watch a second season of this show because everybody seemed mm. to... That used to be... That seemed to be the hot-button show that season. It was, for that sure. Was personally, it was the show that everyone was talking about every week. Yeah, that it was, was like personally the, my favorite show that season. It, it was Yeah, it was like the the Hiroaka Attack on Titan. Yeah, exactly. Of its, of its season. I really like that. Uh, good news, White Fox is the studio again, so I'm sure they'll do it justice. That's good. That's really good to hear. Uh, I actually ha- saw a piece of news in passing. You remember a while ago how Netflix was slated to release uh, was slated to release uh, Evangelion on their platform, right? Yeah. So there has officially been a date for when that's supposed to be released. It's supposed to be June twenty first of this year. So. Something else to look forward to in June. Yeah, I can finally actually watch Evangelion. I haven't read the article personally yet. I just saw it in passing. And uh, I think that... I don't know what exactly has all come of it. I don't know if the original voice cast is going to reprise their roles. I certainly hope so. Well, it's not a remake, is it? I don't think so, but... I'm pretty we, sure they're just putting it on it. Putting it on Netflix. I think so. Like, there were, that there were rumors, like, circulating around that there might be, like... Like, might be redubbing it or something like that. Well, if uh, the internet's taught me anything, is that nobody can lie on the internet, and mm-hmm. if someone says it, it must be true. <laughs> Very fair. So, getting on to shows for this week. We have a we have quite a few shows to talk about, and we are going to, in two weeks' worth, we're going to try and give the abridged version of last week's events, like, kind of as they relate to this week's shows, and then we're going to start talking a little bit more detailed into the current week of shows so starting us off boogie pop and others the king of distortion arc has continued oh my god that that scene where boogie pop jumps out of the building okay with, like, the grappling hook or the, yeah. the bungee jumping scene that was probably my favorite part of the episode they, they did the superhero landing they totally did the superhero landing where it's just Wah! well like, the, no the superhero landing isn't that where like where you, you land with like uh your like fist your knee, hitting the ground and your, your knee and your fist hitting the ground yeah uh yeah it w- wasn't quite that but yeah it was really cool she like she cuts off his head and then lands and then turns around and then opens her her cape to let the boy out yeah <laughs> that was just such a such a cool sequence yeah and we're uh like last week we were starting to get a little bit of insight into what the king of distortions aim is but we we didn't really get entirely what they were all about just yet, basically, the person, like the King of Distortion, appears as whatever is plaguing that person's heart. Like a um, uh, uh, Sakiko, I believe her name was, was guilty over a friend of hers dying. Yeah, she has like survivor's guilt. Yeah, and then the little boy, the one, the the giant monster that created uh, the person that created Zoragi, as we find. Well, out no, called. Uh, so I don't think he created Zoragi. Mm-hmm. I think his powers somehow brought Zoragi into the world. Yeah. Because Boogie Pop states that someday someone else will uh, acknowledge your existence. Yeah, which, as we were, as we had actually both acknowledged at the time, that uh, Mabara had actually seen it before. It had actually started chasing him and attacking him in that episode, or the episode where it first appeared. Uh, which one's Mabara? Mabara is the guy with the uh, shaved with the shaved sides and kind of a mohawk looking hair. He kind of looks like the uh, the trainer from uh, from Uma Masume. I thought that was Harada. No, it's uh, Mabara is his name. Okay. You talking about the hacker guy? Yes, hacker man. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's Mabara. But uh, he acknowledged that uh, 
Zaragi was an actual thing. The way that Zaragi came into being, it was like a drawing that was supposed to be represent a representation of his father, I think, if yeah. I remember correctly. Yeah, he's like, this is my dad. Yeah, and then the teachers were all looking at him like, okay, just yeah, keep telling uh, yourself that. So, so I think that the the freaky dragon head part of it, mm. or dinosaur head, yeah. wasn't actually part of what Zuragi originally was. Mm. Boogie Pop cuts off the big old monster part, and then it's just kind of like this doofy looking dinosaur face. And, yeah. then, uh, and Boogie Pop's like, well, your exit's, your exit's been blocked, so you might as well just chill out. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, alright, I guess I'll go over here now. Yeah, it was actually also kind of interesting. Like, it sort of, uh, it sort of played into the idea of, like, this episode kind of played into the idea of, like, urban legends and people believing in it, because it seemed that Boogie Pop's, like, power, how effective it can be, is all based on, uh, on how people perceive it. Yeah, because, because they were worried about the boy not believing in them. Yeah, exactly. Because, and then it's, they even said something to the effect of, our wa- we don't even share the same wavelength, so it's... So I'm pretty. I'm having a difficult time actually seeing this monster. But then once the uh, once Makoto started uh, believing in Boogie Pop, might be able to actually save the day. Mm-hmm. That's when it was actually. That's when Boogie Pop was actually starting to be able to see Zaragi. I thought that was a really cool um, uh, idea. Kind of again plays into the idea that Boogie Pop is an urban legend, and urban legends are only as powerful if they're passed around and believed. Yeah. In. yeah kind yeah, of plays yeah. into the idea of like the Phantom Thieves in Persona Five. Like, yeah, yeah, we're getting a we're getting a little more like deep lore mm-hmm. on the world. Yeah, what what Boogie Pop is, and the last thing about Makoto, and this actually directly ties into the uh, ties into the current episode, the fact that Makoto is one of these uh, one of like the next stage beings. I don't know exactly what to call them. I'd forgotten what uh, Scarecrow referred to them as, like MSPs or something like that. I don't remember. Mutants. MSP, MSPS, I think. But basically, yeah, mutants. Like, people yeah. that have, like, special powers or something of that nature. They basically have quirks. Let's put yeah. it that way. They have quirks. And Makoto is one of them. And for some reason, whatever force is trying to pull the strings here, whether it's the King of Distortion or something else, because even Boogie Pop doesn't know what they're supposed to be going up against, it's trying to find more beings that are these mutants, really. And that's why it lured things to the Moon Temple. Yeah, um, what's his face? Terotsky. Yeah, Terotsky. Uh, I also want to talk about uh, the the conversation between Nitoki and uh, Boogie Pop. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting where Nitoki in the beginning of the episode where she pops out of the, the hole and, and starts talking to Boogie Pop about how like Boogie Pop actually is really grateful to Takeda because mm. he's like the one person that has acknowledged her as a friend. Oh, that's it, right. As a friend. That's right. Because, uh, because yeah, that's actually, we started to see a little bit more of a human side to uh, Boogie Pop. Yeah, which is funny because Boogie Pop, as as we know, isn't really a human. Yeah, it's not. He's kind of this creature that shows up whenever. This, but it was, it's it like was, a force of nature, pretty much. Yeah. It, it was just really, it was kind of cool seeing that little personal conversation. yeah. And also getting the confirmation that um, Nitoki is a crush on Takeda, because we thought of that earlier, but now yeah. it's... It's been officially it's, Now confirmed. it's confirmed! <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The uh, The other thing about Boogie Pop is just the idea that it's... Um, uh, the fact that it's different from its original incarnations, as far as we know, or it's evolved in some way, shape, or form, because in the original, in the original source material, as far as I remember, it's supposed to be characterized by its sort of like deadpan mono- 
monotonous voice mm. and sort of like lack of expressiveness. But then we've seen Boogie Pop get very expressive, very like, smug. Yeah, that's, so much smug. Yeah, that smug ass smile that it gives. Yeah, I, I, I love uh, Smuggy Pop. Yeah, Smuggy Pop. Just the. I mean, I like the design for what's her face. Uh, Yoshita. Yoshita. Anyways, yeah. Mm-hmm. She got she got them thick ass eyebrows though. <laughs> so. The most recent episode is Habra and Tanaka, the uh, two guys from before, uh, the the hacker and uh, the person that he started, ta- yeah, started talking to. They met up with Sakiko. They and they were basically just trying to figure out uh, how to what exactly they were supposed to be doing in this Moon Temple, and they get trapped in a situation straight out of fucking Saw. He's having all the mannequins. Well. That's one of them. That's actually is kind of reminds me more of um, crap Death Parade with all the mannequins and stuff. But I'm talking about how Tarotsky's like, oh, by the way, for those of you that are outside and you can hear this music, you will not be able to get inside. For all those that are inside, if you're wondering what that sh- what that sound was before the music started playing, that was the shutters closing. Oxygen has now been cut out. You're fucked. Yeah, you are not going to be able to escape, and you will die of asphyxiation. Although. Uh... Shiro brings up a pretty good or um, pretty good point, saying like, "Yeah, except for he, except for he can't actually do that. Yeah, like he's not going to be able to actually seal off every single hole in this building. Yeah, completely cut off. He's basically trying to get people to panic. And yeah, uh, that was really it, it. Really goes back to his design of the building, and they were trying to figure out why he made like an upwards upper ramp. Yeah, this building was one big ramp. Yeah, it was like uh, a spiral. Yeah, it's much. just his plan to." To get people to go upwards. Mm-hmm. thought that was brilliant. Yeah. I uh, I think it was also a really cool sequence during this uh, episode. Is just when the Moon Temple just turned black. It was just it was just a nice... Uh, it was just a cool little detail. I'm pretty sure that was supposed to be like the the building shutters closing. That was probably... I'm pretty sure that's what it was supposed yeah, to be. Yeah, that has to be it. But at the same time, it just seemed... It yeah. was just cool to see. It was really kick-ass. Yeah. Like, he didn't need to design it in a way that would look super cool, but he did it anyway. Yeah, just, hey, he, I spent all, the, he, as he says towards the end of the episode, I spent the last of the fortune yeah. <laughs> that Tarotsky, uh, Kenry Kiyochiro has to make this building, because he knew he was gonna die yeah. anyway. I really was caught off guard, like, okay, we already knew the Toa organization is, like, the big, the big bad guy, mm-hmm. but with the way the show goes, you know, it's kind of, like, pieced together different stories. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect the Toe organization to be the thing that was behind all this. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I was, oh, it's like, he was like, oh yeah, I'm a fake human. Like, shit. Yeah. Well, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, just, well, like, well, Eugene, well, we kind of knew that Tarotsky was going to be a fake human anyway because Scarecrow had been investigating him in an earlier episode in that flashback sequence. Well, he could have been a fake human or he could have been one of those people with superpowers. Yeah, I, I guess that's true, but... I think that uh, Scarecrow was kind of meant to just investigate a few different things. Like, yeah. I guess that's true. He could have been. He was a detective. Yeah, that mm-hmm. is very true. I think that uh, the weirdest part was when uh, when Itoki has a conversation with the ghost of Sautome, the uh, the kid that was working with the Manticore before. Yeah. Uh, the King of Distortion. Yeah, much. the King of Distortion, or... We don't entirely know itself. Exactly. Yes, yeah. we don't entirely know exactly what's really pulling the strings here because the King of Distortion, at as we see at the end of the episode, is it doesn't really seem to be the being that is pulling the strings here. There is something bigger and meaner here, I think, mm. because as Boogie Pop was talking with uh, uh, Sakiko, 
how she felt guilty about like I deserve to die. I'm the, I'm a terrible person. My friend uh, my friend died because of me. Stuff like that. And then uh, Boogie Pop basically says, "Well, was your King of Distortion kind to you? Because the King of Distortion really is just a mirror of is a distorted version of whatever's inside somebody's heart. So its kindness was actually your kindness. It has just been distorted. And if you're feeling this guilty, that shows a clear sign of how." of how kind of a person you truly are. Yeah, that was, like, once again, seeing more of a human side to Boogie Pop. Yeah. Cool of her, her, like, Boogie Pop, at the end of the day, wants to help people. Yeah, I think Boogie Pop is just a being that really just wants to find people that are truly enemies to to the world. And it recognized that this troubled girl really wasn't a uh, threat to the world. Just somebody who needed help. Well, the the interesting thing is that Boogie Pop, like, states that, yeah, I'm just here to beat up the stuff that's the threat. Mm-hmm. But, like, we see multiple times where Boogie Pop, when, when it's not even, like, related to stopping a threat, Boogie Pop will go out of their way to save people. Like, um, for example, uh, there was a girl that was going to commit suicide, mm-hmm. like, way earlier on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Boogie Pop pretty much convinces her to not jump off the building. And then you have Boogie Pop here stopping to talk to, uh, was that Sakaki? yeah. Sakiko. Um, Sakiko saying, basically, like, like, you don't need to feel the guilt anymore. You've been a kind person all along, like you said. Yeah, exactly. I think that, uh, but then there was a really weird sequence when, uh, when Boogie Pop started going on this little bit of a monologue saying, well, if it's, maybe not everything that glitter, maybe not everything that glitters is gold, and she's reaching up towards the ceiling, and then she just, like, gets teleported somewhere else. I think that was... Uh, I might have been Boogie Pop getting sucked into, like, maybe their own mind. Mm, maybe because that's what happens when everyone else, whenever, whenever anyone else goes from being awake to into the quote unquote dream state. Yeah, they just go, just like pop right into it. Yeah, and then even Boogie Pop was like, "Oh, jeez, I if this isn't gonna be easy, is it?" Because uh, yeah, yeah, and also it's Boogie Pop at the end of the day is inhabiting a human body. So it's if anything else, it's probably targeting Toka, not her, yeah. not Boogie Pop. Just Boogie Pop is the one in control, so it's aware of what's going on. That that's a good point. I hadn't actually considered that. Yeah. But let's talk a little bit about the uh, really long info dump from Tarotsky, like talking about how, uh, like, so, as we'd said before, he'd already kind of talked about like how he used all of his fortune just to make this one building, just to basically screw with the Toa organization, because he knew that he was going to get killed by them someday anyway. Mm-hmm. But he meant this, he built this entire temple, as it turns out, just as pretty much an experiment, is what I got. Because well, he, he built it as a, to me it seems like he built it as like a recruitment center. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good way of putting yeah, it. Because, because at the end, he's like, "Well, if you're here and you're means, awake, that means you can be an enemy to the Toa organization." Exactly. Like uh, he basically pointed out that the people that have actually woken up have probably are these special powered people. Like the reason that they are there is what, like why they are there is because of that, pretty much. And I think that was a really cool way of going about it. Then he gets killed on camera. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Like, oh, you're here. Yeah, you won't have any problem killing me, Eugene. What a ter- <laughs> yeah, what a terrifying name for a villain, by the way, Eugene. But I mean, villain is a strong word, or I guess just an assassin. Yeah. But uh, the the weirdest thing about it was uh, was Tonica turning out to be like some kind of dead eyed fish person, pretty much. It's okay, well, well the, those are the eyes that people see whenever they're in the dream world. Mm. You so, think so? Uh, yeah, because like whenever someone sees 
or not always, but a lot of the time whenever someone's in that uh, dream world, mm-hmm. uh, they see people with eyes like that. Yeah, I, I guess so. Like, it was made me, it made me wonder if, uh, if Shiro is actually the person pulling the strings, because it seemed kind of convenient that he knew, like, where to go and stuff like that. that he's the secret bad guy? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Why, um, though? Like, why would he be the secret bad guy? I don't know, but in the conversation between, uh, between Nitoki and, uh, and, uh, Sayada, I believe his name is, or whatever his name, or whatever his name was, that guy had a, uh, that guy actually called him out by name before, so maybe there's something important there that we're missing. And Nitoki said something, I know what you are, King of Distortion, or I figured out something about you, which we, the audience, still haven't. I think we'll fi- finally get all the answers next episode, but mm-hmm. I think that it is kind of bizarre, like, whatever is leading people into this building. I wonder if it's uh, Shiro, or a being inhabiting Shiro, or because it even tried to lead in uh, Takeda, her yeah, Takeda is well. The thing is, Takeda might be in the building, or he might not, because he went into the dream state, mm-hmm. and whenever people do that, they end up like being actually unconscious on the floor. Yeah. So I'm not sure if he's just walking there, actually. Yeah. Or but, he's just unconscious on the ground outside. Yeah, and he didn't really follow Toka. Like, he hesitated before he crossed the threshold, so maybe he sensed that something was off. I think he's probably going to end up inside. Yeah, probably. But, I don't know. This uh, mm-hmm. series has done a really good job of kind of just keeping you engaged, and all the psychological stuff continues to be yes. awesome to watch. Tune in next week for the exciting finale. Yep, exciting finale. So next up, uh, we got Dororo. Um, we gotta learn more about, uh, Tohomaru. Yeah, Toho- yeah, Tohomaru, and it was really interesting seeing, uh, Tohomaru just sort of, like, uh, how prideful of a person he is. Like, he recognizes that he is the son of a very powerful lord, and how he wants to do right by his- by I just his- want my dad to love me! <laughs> well, I think that he takes a lot of pride in just the land itself as well, because he recognizes, he, he thinks his father is a great man, and somebody who brought peace and prosperity to this specific land, when in reality, it's all built on a falsehood. Right? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't know that. So, he's basically fighting for, it's kind of tragic in a way that he's basically fighting for a lie, because he doesn't seem like a bad person. No, he seems like a good kid. Yeah, he seems like a legitimately good kid who's just trying to do right by his yeah. family. Because when he went to help the, when he offered to kill the, the monster, I think, yeah, part of it was trying to prove himself to his dad. But also, I think part of it was just he wanted to help these people who were in trouble in him. And or, on it, his it, land. His, yeah, his land. Well, yeah. Not yet his land, but yeah gonna be his land one exactly day. and i think that yeah he just wanted to fight a scary crab demon which th- it was actually a pretty interesting way they uh, displayed the crab demon in that episode because it just was basically a whirlpool at first before like this creepy ass moss showed up it's like a sarlacc pit but yeah, in water it, it was yeah the the sequence in the beginning was kind of like a old horror movie yeah you see like the perspective from underwater as the guy's kicking his feet yeah exactly and That's, then all uh, it needs is like a and then of course at the end you see like at the end you see like his freaking just hat float up or something like that just something it's like hey there was a guy here at one point but i liked it i thought it was a yeah just waiting for like an overlay of like the terror in the deep (laughs) 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 yeah and i think it was just really cool like the entire sequence when they were trying to kill the crab demon at first like 
they before they trapped it. You mean? Yeah, before they got like it's just oh we're gonna try and get it in boats. So they managed to wound it, but then uh, Tahumaru actually being a pretty smart for his age, figuring out let's trap the damn thing. Let's prepare. For yeah, it. I was surprised they got out without. I think they killed the crab without anybody dying. Uh, yeah, all. yeah, I think so. Well, the. Uh, Except for the first guy. He yeah. Didn't, he doesn't care. He's fine. Don't worry yeah, about he, him. Yeah. And all the other people that probably died before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, don't worry. Just, I mean, yeah, aside well, from yeah. those people, fuck them. Who yeah, cares? Like peasants. Who cares? <laughs> but uh, it was really cool seeing him, like, actually, you almost forget that most of these people are just regular human beings, but they're still able to hurt these monsters. Like, because Tatamaru wasn't particularly strong or anything like that, but he was still able to slash a demon. Yeah, I think that... People in this world definitely have exaggerated strength. Yeah. Uh, like, kind of supernatural, but not really. Because, like, um, if you remember, uh, like, way earlier on with the with the bird demon that came down and, uh, oh, yeah. and Buomaru just, like, does a, like a, a Z slash and cuts oh, yeah. the bird out of the sky. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. That was really cool. And they're not, like, superhumans. No, they're just regular people, and they can get hurt and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, we've seen that with Hyakimaru, like, screaming out in pain when he got his leg bit off, for instance. Yeah. But uh, it's easy to forget sometimes that these are just regular human beings, but they're capable of doing some semi-extraordinary mm-hmm. feats. It's an anime at the end of the yeah. day. I, I really digged the the Monster Hunter-esque battle. Oh, yeah. When he, when he lured it into it. Because like, it, like, it felt like a Monster Hunter quest. He's like, oh, we gotta lure the monster to this place and use this specific weapon. Yeah, like it, like a siege fight, like with the um, uh, the Darren Morin or the yeah. Laotian Long or something like that. Yeah, the crab battle, yeah, crab battle. <laughs> but uh, and it was really cool seeing like how the how the crab is actually learning to fight back. Like it recognized that the gates were what was keeping it inland, so it started throwing rocks at it. I, I thought I thought that scene was kind of dumb because it was uh, like I understand talking is free action. Throwing rocks at a gate should not be a free action. He threw, like, two rocks, and they were like, Uh, Nani? He's throwing rocks at the gate. And then he threw, like, two more rocks. Like, why didn't it occur to them to step in and attack him while he was throwing the rocks? Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I guess just to kind of show Hiyakimaru being a badass, because one yeah. of, uh... One of, uh... Because one of Tahamaru's guards almost got eaten. And Oh, then... yeah, I want to bring up real quick them... Oh yeah! Oh, I thought one was a female and one was a male, and maybe no, and they even inject yeah, and they said no, we two brothers. I'm like, yeah. I the family resemblance is uncanny. Uh, it's prop- it's not really, but uh, props on them for addressing it that way. They did the same thing with um Dodoro. Yeah, How yeah. They, they don't say like, oh, I never knew realized you were this, or mm-hmm. they don't give backstory of like, oh yes, people always call us guy and girl or whatever. Yeah. It's just yeah. like they they drop it. And then they just kind move of move on. on. Yeah, no, it's it's a pretty cool way of revealing that. Um, uh, but yeah, we find out a little bit about them, and then uh, Hyakimaru manages to kill the thing in basically a single slash. And then uh, Daigo is seen like kind of looking, overlooking the uh, the cliffs or whatever, and sees Hyakimaru down there along with Tahamaru and his uh, and his guards. Mm-hmm. But then moving on to this week's episode, this week's episode was just. Hyakimaru just kind of realized, or I guess just figuring out how much of a lie uh, Daigo told his people. Like, because what he was showing was nothing short of propaganda. Like that Kabuki play that was basically saying, I, Daigo Kagimitsu, uh, yeah. will slay the demons! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I don't think Hyakimaru really realizes 
no. that, uh, what's going on. Because I don't think even think I mean, Dodoro. I mean, I don't think, like, I guess it's more for us, the audience. Because yeah. we know the truth, exactly. but nobody yeah. else does. Because uh, I don't even think Hyakimaru realizes that that's his family. Like, the only clue he has connecting is the the symbol on the pouch he's carrying. Yeah. It's like I, the, the, the family... Yeah, the family crest or whatever. Yeah. That's actually... I want to bring up something kind of interesting about that. Like, think of the way that he stared at uh, Tahumaru. He stared at him, like, a little too long. Maybe he just detected something in his aura, recognizing that the two of them had, like, just something that yeah, felt maybe. familial. That's the that's interesting thing about the show. We never really get any introspectives from Yakimaru's perspective. Exactly. I am... Um, I thought I just thought that was a really cool like little detail because he was just kind of staring at him for a little while, so maybe he was thinking something. But we never entirely know what Hiyakimaru is thinking, which I think is really cool. Yeah, it's probably one of the most interesting parts of the show, in my opinion. It keeps yeah. Hiyakimaru uh, a mystery. Yeah, kind of like even somebody like even somebody that Dodoro, who is like the closest person to him, is slowly uh, is slowly starting to figure out more and more about. And then kind of, we talked a little bit about how Tahamaru seemed to be just, like, a good kid. And this was a little bit more, there was a little bit more of that when, uh, when, Ta- when uh, Tahamaru was a little bit, uh, was a little bit, like, lamenting over the fact that, uh, that he, what, that he underestimated the monster that he was fighting. And he just figured it was a, uh, he realized that he needs to get stronger. Yeah. Like, he realized that if he really wants to be able to protect his land, that he needs to get stronger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he actually, like, uh, thanked Hyakimaru for helping. Yeah, exactly. And gave him some sweet, sweet coinage. Yeah. Don't, don't, it was just like, yeah, so pay up. Gimme, gimme. Gimme, gimme, gimme the money. Get, give the money. And we got to see, like, that, we got to see a creepy-ass midwife, like that crazy lady. Yeah, I didn't realize who she was at first. Yeah. Until later on, and I realized that she was one of the midwives who saw the The, the quote-unquote red baby. Yeah. Or the demon child, which... I want to point out, like, both times, like, first, she saw Hiyakimaru and ran away screaming. Which How does she know? I, huh, I don't know. Like, like I don't understand if, like, the markings on her eye, like, on her face were indicative of something. Because, like, she had, like, those huge black marks on her face. Like, I don't know if that was just, like, a design choice or if it was, like, actually part of a curse or... She has to have some kind of supernatural vision because there was... Like, there was no markings on the baby that would tell you anything about how he would look when he was older. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I would... Maybe got no skin! Yeah, I would have... Attrib- and I would have attributed that just to coincidence, and maybe just the ramblings of an old lady. But she did the same thing when she saw Tahamaru, which is, like, again, kind of that familial bond stuff. Maybe she just kind of sensed something. I don't know. It was very strange. Yeah, I don't know. They after doing some investigating and then kind of realizing like oh this place is there's not really a lot for us to do here. Then they find out about the this creepy cursed wall the Bonmon. I thought that was a interesting little sequence. Yeah, I didn't expect a nine tailed fox ghost to yeah, show up. I don't know. I wasn't expecting that either. I also did. I also didn't expect uh, rocks to work on them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah who'd have thunk? Apparently, those, those fucking like playing dodgeball, just throwing rocks at just spirits here. <laughs> Yeah, apparently the rocks are strong enough to kill things. Yeah, that was a that was a cool little action sequence. Um, what's his face? Little boy, don't remember his name. Uh, Sukiroku. Yeah, he runs off, and, and now we got Dororo and Daigo face to face. Oh, you mean Hyakimaru? Yeah, Hyakimaru and Daigo Kagemitsu. Yeah, face to face for now, the first time. Yeah, I think that uh, 
I want to point out that uh, this series has a tendency of introducing little boy characters with tragic as fuck backstories because Sukiroku is another example of a kid, another small boy who has a very tragic backstory. Yeah, because we had like a we the, had Sadu who had a tragic Sadu, backstory. We had like the the orphanage kids, the yeah. war orphans. I, I think it's probably something for Dodo to relate to. Yeah, for a narrative thing, it's like. Because if Dorado didn't have any other kids to relate to, I think I don't think we'd be able to see as much out of Dorado's character. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, in Dodoro, like, if it weren't for that, then Dodoro would ma- mainly just be sort of like an exposition or something for the audience to relate to. Yeah, kind of a, a snappy little dialogue. Yeah, exactly. Spewer. But uh, the, uh, the interesting thing about uh, Sukuroku, his uh, home was killed by the... Uh, his home village was burned down by a rival clan, and that's why the whole Bonmon Wall exists in the first place. Yeah, I he's wanting to go back was see his mom. Mm-hmm. I don't think his mom's gonna be alive. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, his mom uh, is not gonna be alive. Like he wants her to be. I can understand that. Because, I want her to be, but I I've but, seen the show before. Yeah, I know where this is going. I saw episode six. Episode six was the one where Mio got got fucking killed, right? Uh, I want to say I, I want to say it was episode six, but point being, a little detail about uh, Hyakimaru's fighting style. Did you notice it? What he, he only like he only seems to uh, like use his arm blades when he gets super serious because like at first, oh yeah when because I was first, wondering why he was just using a sword yeah because at first he was just using a sword but then I don't know like midway through he decided okay time to use my arm blades yeah I uh, it it kind of points more to the fact that. I feel like they're saving him getting back his arms mm-hmm. for a really situation where he really needs his arm blades. Yeah, exactly. And I'm kind of expecting him to honestly just chop his arms off. Maybe. Like, I feel like it's going to be a situation where he needs to fight something, he he doesn't have his arm blades, and he's just going to have to cut his arms off so he can put his prosthetics back on. Yeah, I imagine so. And I think it's a little weird, uh, because you said before, uh, Kagimitsu and... Uh, and Hyakimaru face-to-face now. Little father-son bonding time. Yeah. Maybe playing some catch that they didn't get a chance to. Uh, it's, it's interesting because there was a situation where the, I think it was the fox spirit was about to uh, kill Hyakimaru. Um, and then the archers... Yeah, the archers shot at it. And then it, at it and then it goes away. So there was a moment where uh, he could have let Hyakimaru die to that spirit. Mm. But he he's probably too prideful to let that happen. He wants to confront him and talk to him himself about it. Yeah, probably... Probably kill him himself. Yeah, put, put him down himself. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think that Hiyakimaru, once again, staring, could have just been him staring, but he could have also sent something on his father, like he did that again in this when he saw his dad. So we actually got to see the monk appear again. Had been yeah. a while since we've seen him. He decided to go investigate the Hall of Hell, which, for some reason, the Goddess of Mercy statue got cracked again. Like, it's not cracked this episode. Yeah, I think it's might it might be due to uh, Hyakimaru coming closer to it or something. I don't know. It could be that. It could also because be... that's like the one thing that saved him, right? Uh, it was the thing that com- yeah that it completely um the thing that didn't make him completely fucking die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Like at least that's what the show would have you believe. Yeah, it definitely seems that way. Yeah, this uh this entire episode though has just been a uh, has been a treat to watch. I'm looking forward to seeing the uh, next episode. I wonder I wonder if he's going to kill Daigo and then Tahamaru is going to be the one to actually fight him from this point forward. Yeah, we, we have another core. Yeah, we do have another core. So, that was something you were worried about. Yeah, because... there's 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 
I think next episode is going to be the end of this arc, so yeah. to say. And then the next course... Yeah, it might have something to do, something to do with um, Tahoe Maru mm-hmm. uh, hating Hyakumaru for killing his dad, maybe? Yeah, something like that. Because it's really just... I don't know like where the series really can go from this point. Because like obviously Hyakumaru is still getting the rest of his body back, but... I believe they'll figure it out. It'll, yeah. I'm sure it'll be good, so... Yeah, no, I, I have no doubt it will. Like, Studio Mappa has done a pretty good job of adapting, like, classic series. Like, they did the same thing with Banana Fish. Like, you were worried about Banana Fish not being able to continue for a second core. And it did that amazingly. Yeah. Uh, on to the next show for this week, JoJo Golden Wind. I... I want to talk about the opening real quick. Yeah. Because uh, the opening changed, obviously... I I have listened to it probably at least like ten times now. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like it. I like it a lot. In the beginning, I, like first time I watched, it, I was like, yeah, I don't know how I feel about this, but I uh, I absolutely love it now. I, I I have a complaint, and that that is being I don't like just the little recap they have at the beginning. Mm-hmm. How it's just like, oh, this is what happened in five seconds. Like I think that's kind of a dumb part of the opening. Yeah. Uh, there's some interesting details in it though. There's a part where it shows everyone from the waist down. And they're walking away. And then Fugo's, like, legs, like, start to go forward, but then stop. That's one detail. But the more important detail is that Giorno's in the front. Mmm! And uh, Bucciarati is, like, near the back. So everyone's following Giorno. Which, uh, we got, like, you remember when uh, Misto was saying, like, it's almost like Giorno is our capo. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then, like, in the the most recent episode, um... Narancia basically yeah. says something like, yeah, he yeah. Feel, it feels like Giorno's the one actually leading us forward. Yeah, so Giorno's kind of, like, taking over. Yeah. As all this. I, I'm kind of wondering if it's, like, a Fight Club situation where, like, oh, Bucciarati's actually dead, but Giorno's just... He's, he's actually leading the team, but he's, like, thinking Bucciarati's actually there. Um, <laughs> maybe, but they still... Interact- like, I don't think that's gonna happen. Yeah, but. I mean, they still are interacting with Bucciarati like he's actually there and stuff like yeah. that, so... Uh, another detail about the opening is the the arrow at the end. Yeah. So I'm so it's a stand arrow, obviously, mm-hmm. and Giorno is stabbing something with it. So I'm thinking that either he's going to be stabbing Bucciarati with it, uh, but I think the more likely thing is that he's stabbing himself with it yeah. to give him more stand powers. Yeah, that is a that is actually a very important detail because the name of this song is called Traitor's Requiem, and there's a there's a plot point. I'm not sure if I probably should talk about it because it's, i've heard about it spoiler don't talk about it yeah it's it's going into some pretty heavy spoiler territory but the, but the name of the song is just very telling for a plot point later mm-hmm. let me just put it that way i so these past couple episodes have been about the ambiguously gay duo <laughs> aka squalo and tiziano <laughs> uh, um okay, I, I forget what his name is tiziano is voiced by one of my one of my favorite voice actors recently. Yeah, and uh, at least Japanese voice actors. Yeah, he's really good. He voiced uh, Mr. Giraffe. Like that's when I first started noticing him. Yeah, uh, Kenjiro Suda. Yeah, Kenjiro Suda is great. I I started paying more attention to him ever since uh, ever since summer of last year when we heard him in uh, Review Starlight. Yeah, he was yeah. Mr. Giraffe. He's in. Uh, and he's also in Run with the Wind. Uh, and he's in. Uh, uh, fucking uh, Sekiro. Yeah. Shadows Die Twice. Oh, really? Game. Yeah, I recently picked that up, and yeah, he plays one of the the, the big bad guys. Of course. He's he showed up, I was like, <laughs> He's also on the Ogata and Golden Kamui. He's, yeah, he's yeah, got yeah. a pretty wide yeah. portfolio. Anyway, yeah, and, ambiguously gay duo. And, and yeah. there, there stands 
Talking Head, Sitsiano Stan was a reference to the American New Wave band, The Talking Heads. Yeah, which, this is not my beautiful house. <laughs> this is not my beautiful wife. This is, wait, is that what? Yeah, that's the, that actually is the name, of, that is one of their songs. Oh, okay. As the know. days go by, that song. Wait, really? That's yeah, not... that's The Talking oh, okay, Heads. Wow. Yeah, okay, I guess I know that song. Okay, yeah, that's the song that um, everybody knows by The Talking Heads. And, and then Squallow Stan was uh, Clash. Yeah, The Clash. Which is a British punk rock band. Yeah, that uh, played uh, Should I Stay or Should I Go. Really? Yeah. yeah I, I, like, I, I felt like, I don't even, I don't know these guys. Yeah, how did you, okay. But in, if you're, um, uh, if you're t- talking about the subs, what were they? They were Crush, and uh, what was the other? And what was... Talking Face? Yeah, Talking Face or Maybe. something like that. I, I don't know. It, it was stupid. So. Like, I, I just like automatically read it as what it's supposed to be. Yeah, so <laughs> exactly. So I, I forget the thing. Uh, crush was actually really hard to... Because I, I looked it up. Because it sounds like he's saying Crush. Yeah. But he's saying Clash Yeah, Japanese. it's more like Crush. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's exactly what was weird. That's, uh... This show, again, has a tendency of saying, screw copyright. Uh, my, one of my favorite scenes in, uh, in this episode was when this guy comes up to Narancia and he's like, and, and he bumps into him and spills some of the wine on his shirt. And then he's just like, you must be an enemy stan. And he starts kicking the shit out of him. Oh, yeah. And Mista, then Mista goes and up like, and starts kicking the shit yeah, out of him. Yeah. And then Abakio is just kind of staring, drinking wine. He looks over. And then he starts kicking yeah, the shit out of him. All right. This reminds me very much of torture scene. <laughs> yeah, the torture. Yeah, exactly. Torture and then it's like, oh, wait, he's unconscious. Never mind. That scene was just fucking made me lose my shit. Oh, my God. I had almost completely forgotten about that scene. That, that scene was great. I was more distracted by the events of the most recent episode. Like, that was the one that was most uh, on my mind, because this show really does have a tendency of, like, making you forget, like, past events and making you only focus on what's currently going on. This is just always so much shit happening. Yeah, exactly. Just, okay, stand battle, stand battle, stand battle. And uh, yeah, JoJo definitely, like, it, bar- it very rarely puts on the brakes, because there's always something to go after. Like, yeah, exactly. In, in JoJo. And I mean, that, a little bit less in Diamond is Unbreakable, because there was a little bit more downtime. Yeah, exactly. That Because there was just a few episodes where they didn't know who to go after. They weren't even aware that Kira was a thing yet. Mm-hmm. But anyway, on to back to Golden Winds. I think that it was... Uh, I think it was actually kind of hilarious, like, when uh, when Narancia is, like, just basically stirring his soup around, and then all of a sudden, he sees his spoon just go missing... And then the creepy shark, barracuda, whatever you want to fucking call it. Crash. Yeah, the crash. Uh, yeah, it shows up and then bites and then bites him and has the ability to teleport to bodies of water. Liquid, specifically. Doesn't have to be water. Yeah, and it bites off his tongue. Yeah, bites off tongue. his tongue. And Probably then, mostly that was, that was probably mostly a distraction to get a uh, talking head yeah, on exactly. his tongue, probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then Talking Head has a really, really bizarre ability. Make people say the opposite of what they mean. So, constantly telling lies. And I wonder, like, if you can intentionally, if you weren't as stupid as Naransa, if you could intentionally be like, I'll just say the opposite of what I mean. Mm. Or if it's, you have to say what you mean. I think, yeah, I think that, well, Naransa was, did that... Did that a little bit in the most recent episode, like where he was, uh, because there was that whole scene when uh, when Squalo was wounded, and they were basically he's basically saying, "Calm down, don't worry about this." He can only say the opposite of what he's saying. Uh, we'll get to that scene in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool how 
Clash can grab when it, when it when it's stuck to things and it tell so when it teleports it can change its size. Yeah, to teleport and stuff. It's to fit whatever it can, container it's in, pretty much. Yeah, uh, it was weird that it can also grab things and then change the size of those things. Yeah, that's moving around. Yeah, that's right. Because I did the same thing. Because I did the thing in with Jorno actually. Yeah, like just latched onto his neck. Which that was fucking brutal, by the way. I was given this show. I wouldn't have put it past it if it was actually like, oh, this is actually a dummy version of me that I brought to life with gold experience or something like. No, nah, he, he was having his neck chewed on for that's, about ten minutes. No, I know. That's. I mean, I was thinking that's what it was going to be, but I was wrong. And we actually get a really cool like a cat and mouse game, pretty much like Narancha trying to figure out how to find. Uh, how to find Squallow and uh, his stand. It was very reminiscent of his fight with, uh, what was it? A uh, baby head. Uh, no, it was a... T- little Feet. Little Feet, yeah. yeah. That was really cool. And I actually do like seeing Narancha's stand because it actually is a really cool stand. Very simple, but very cool. Yeah, just seek and destroy. Yeah, exactly. The biggest problem I had with this entire fight was after, like, he shoots Squallow and manages to hurt him pretty badly, he... And he starts, like, searching around for them. Jorno gives him a really good piece of advice. Don't go for the stand. Go for the user. Which, again, really cool piece of advice from him. But the way they went about handling how he was tracking them down, I personally felt was really stupid. Just find the person who's breathing the most? Which, okay, that makes sense, because he'd done that before. But you, but you were, I was thinking this whole time, like, Okay, why didn't the two of them, like, cause a panic or something like that? Because, like, if everybody's, like, panicking, because like, if everybody's panicking, then it's all a bunch of labored breathing. So, there's, so they were able, they'd be able to blend in that way. Yeah, it was a little ridiculous that the way you found him was, uh, I'll cut off my tongue and then anyone who is upset by that will be breathing while yeah. I'm I feel like everyone would be upset by that. Yeah, like, how did nobody notice this? <laughs> that That's my biggest complaint about that. He's, like, he's, he's just walking through a crowd of people like, like, there you are! Yeah, like, who isn't gonna be perturbed by a kid, like, just walking through, like, all menacing looking with a knife in his hand and a tongue attached to the end of that knife? Like, seriously? Like, how is that? Yeah, how does that make sense? very any- JoJo, like... It's like, okay. Fire and forget. It was cool. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. It's just, no, this was so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> like, really? Uh, it's not, a, I wouldn't say it's quite as bad as Man in mo- the Moments yeah. in this with it, Man it in the Mirror. Little, but it was, it was it was a little bit dumb. Yeah, it was a little much. Uh, I didn't expect him to be able to just, like, fly his blades into something. Oh, that was so cool. Like, I've got more than <laughs> one way to kill you. Yeah. And it was actually a really cool, like, uh little bit when uh, Tiziano basically told him, like, basically temporarily deactivated Talking Head, so... Yeah, to trick him. Yeah, and then... And then as soon as the rest of the group got in, then he basically turned it back on. That, that was, was a really cool strategy. That was pretty clever. And just missed a shoot while the room was filled with gas. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, uh, the, the, the part where he finishes him off, or he finishes off, um, Squallow. Yeah. Was, was... Okay, it was, like, it was kind of dumb, because he's like, ah... Oh, now I, uh, Tiziano sacrificed himself to get the blood there, and then he, like, gets bit in the neck, and he's just like, even if you have a shark inside my jugular, it's not gonna stop me from killing you. And then he's like, and then he, like, drives the plane into yeah. him, causes him to fly up in the air, and just repeatedly shoots him. The, the thing he flying. says, the thing he says when he's shooting him is, uh, vola, 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 vola. Yeah. Which, vola in Italian is fly. Yeah. So, and, and then the, the catchphrase, yeah, the vola, 
Bolivieta or something like that. Bolivieta or something like that, which, yeah, it's like, fly away. Yeah. Which, that was actually a pretty cool scene. Yeah, that's the pose and the one-liners. Yeah. (laughs) It's dumb, but it was It sort of, it reminds me a lot of, uh, uh, Bucciarati's Arrivederci. Yeah. It's like, it's like if they were in Russia, it'd be like, Dos Vidania. Or something like that. The one-liners are always fun. Yeah, this was a really cool one-liner. It was a really cool moment. I was kind of, I was kind of curious, because they brought up like, I feel like if they wanted to make this, uh, make him tracking them down make a little bit more sense, like, him, like, realizing a different use for his stand, like, or a different way for his ability. Because he was able to track down Giorno using the gun residue that when he shot him, like, and he didn't shoot, uh, he didn't shoot Squalo directly, but he did shoot his stand, so you'd think that maybe he would be able to track it through the gun residue. That would have been interesting. I don't know, though. Like, I don't know what Iraqi was thinking. It was yeah. just sort of a jazz hands <laughs> sort of situation. Stand hands. Yeah, stand hands. But now the group is going to Sardinia yeah. to go find out about the boss's past. Yeah, they're like, uh, we're going to go find a plane, and there can't be any more people around, so it'll be safe. And I'm pretty sure the next fight, the uh, next episode is going to be a fight on a plane. Yeah, it's, it, it's definitely. <laughs> this is JoJo. I know how JoJo do. The uh, next up is uh, Kaguya-sama, Love is War. <laughs> it, this this series continues to be fucking hilarious. Uh, Chika can definitely be a bit of a selfish brat at times. Oh god, right? She is totally, it can be a selfish brat. Like, <laughs> like, let's all go to the fireworks. Oh wait, I'm gonna be traveling, yeah. don't go without me. Yeah. And then Ishigami finally says something right for a change. And a pretty funny thing about that is not only, uh, not only, uh, Miyuki comforted him, but also Kaguya. She stopped him and kind of patted him on the I don't think it was shoulder. comforting so much as them just like, thank God. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck Chica. Like, we got We're gonna go on this... Yeah, this, so... This thing. <laughs> exactly. I think that, uh... I don't... It's definitely just goes to show that nobody's perfect. Even Chica can be a little bit of a spoiled brat at times. Yeah. I think there, it was the, the first bit, I think, in, in the episode where Kaguya was upset that she... That he didn't touch her. And he was upset that she didn't respect the amount of self-control he had to not touch her. Yeah. <laughs> so I love that whole bit because uh, it, it, it was um, Kaguya trying to figure out why she was right. Um, but the, I think the more entertaining part was Ishigami just being like, what kind of dumb bitch yeah. does all this stupid shit? And it's just basically him freaking out. I'm and like, then, and even it causes Miyuki to say, hit the brakes, Ishigami. Yeah, settle down, settle down. Yeah, just settle this down. This isn't a dating sim. Yeah, I think that it's kind of, I think that it's kind of hilarious because it's almost like he asked Ishigami for advice just so that he could do the literal opposite because Ishigami isn't skilled at that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, Ishigami's his friend. He probably... He wanted to, I think he wanted more to confide in him, not really get, like, actually any legitimate advice from him, because I'm pretty sure he recognized that Ishigami doesn't really have skill in that yeah. department. But it was, a, it was a cute little ending to it, though, how they made up. Yeah, like, she touched him on the lips. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that was really funny. Actually, no, the first bit wasn't them uh, arguing about who was right. It was a, in, the most intense argument about cake ever. It was spawned by yeah. with it, with uh, yeah. the fact they were upset at but, each other. Yeah, but still, it was an intense argument regarding cake. Just, no, you eat it. No, you eat it. No, you eat it. Yeah, I like the, uh... <laughs> Even Ishigami just sort of just staring at the situation, like, you know, maybe if I didn't eat that cake, <laughs> not, this wouldn't have happened. This is all my fault. Yeah. All my fault. I'm gonna go home and die. 
Don't actually die, though, Ishigami. Uh, but the most recent episode, I think it was kind of hilarious, because we get a little bit more insight into Hayasaka, actually. Hayasaka is easily one of the best characters in this show. And I might like have... everyone is one of the best characters in the show. I, well, let me actually give it a case for Hayasaka. She actually just feels like a member of the audience. Like, her, what she says and what she does <laughs> is very much, like, I think what the audience is thinking. Like, basically her whole, her whole mindset can be attributed to this. Oh, God, just fuck already. <laughs> and that's pretty much what Hayasaka is trying to do the whole time. Just basically saying that she's just sick of all these mind games. I, I think she's, yeah, she she wants Kaguya to be happy. Because, um, like, we get a little bit later on how shitty, like, Kaguya's life is. But, I was not expecting that from this yeah. show. <laughs> like, that was just a surprise feels bomb that I was yeah. not expecting in the slightest. But I, I think she's she wants Kaguya to be happy, but she's also running out of patience. Yeah, with like, all the like, oh, I gotta be the first. He's gotta be the first to tell me. And like, she she straight up says like, this has never worked. Yeah, just like this pat. <laughs> it's like this pattern has never worked. Not once. You never once paid for drugs. <laughs> not once. I didn't expect. Twitter to actually be called Twitter. I know. I was expecting it to be like called like Twitter, Twitter or something yeah. <laughs> like that. Um, I was expecting that too. I was actually just legitimately impressed. Like, oh, they actually said Twitter. Huh. Cool. I think it's hilarious. Like, Hayasaka has this ritual, apparently. Whenever Kaguya gets too much to handle, she just takes a bath. And she even says, like, this fit... Like, being able to wash away this fatigue is the only way that I can make sure I don't lose my patience. This is a big-ass bath. Yeah, and a bath that I'd like to point out that she specifically, like, just made, like, a taped on, and taped on a sign that said, Female employee bath only, do not disturb. And the male employees just kind of went along with yeah, it. Yeah, well, they were obviously like, can, can she do this? Yeah, they are like, can she keep can, doing this? Can she actually do that? And she can do whatever the fuck she wants because she's, like, the first maid... Yeah, exactly. Which I I have a feeling that uh, Hayasaka probably is not from a super well-to-do family. No, I don't think so. So she's like, I can come in to to Kaguya's house and use her super fancy bathtub. (laughs) Yeah, I I like how she how she like went all out for it too. She put like on speakers. She put in bath salts. She freaking just pulls out a folding (laughs) chair, (laughs) fucking tosses it in. Yeah, just just fuck you. Like I gotta vent out some frustration somehow. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was that, that was funny just watching uh, Kaguya try to figure out how to learn yeah. how Twitter works. Yeah, just uh, exactly. She's about as the uh, announcement's <laughs> broken. Yeah, as the <laughs> this must be the event of the century. The and even how the announcer says or narrator, how whatever you want to call him, says like she's about as tech savvy as the old man who runs the candy yeah. shop. Uh, moving on to the uh, the Chica bit. Uh, okay. I want to point out, Chica's fucking adorable with her hair tied up like that. I know, right? That outfit. Yeah, she was just like her in just casual clothes. Like, mm-hmm. like I think it's always interesting to just see like any character who's typically in a school uniform just all of a sudden uh, wearing casual especially clothes. Especially in the anime, it's interesting to see a character wear a different outfit in general. Yeah, that's because true. Because I feel like the like ninety, not a shot at people at all for doing this, but like ninety percent of animes have the characters in the same outfit. I'm pretty sure that's just ninety percent of cartoons. Yeah, true, true. Unless you're Adventure Time, because they change Marceline's outfit every few episodes she's in. But whatever. That aside, yeah. I was not expecting this skit. This had literally nothing to do with anything. It was just apparently Chica goofing off. Well, it's a gag manga. Like, yeah. They probably had a lot more of those in the manga, I'm assuming. Yeah, just 
Chica. It's just Chica enjoying ramen. The uh, the businessman ramen uh, ramen snob. Yeah, <laughs> just looking at her, shot. she's like, "Oh, she's just a she's just an ordinary girl." Oh, I underestimated her. Uh, Did she an, calculate this? Yeah, such an intense sequence of eating ramen. <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm watching an episode of like a Shokugeki no Soma or something, gonna except with to, less porn. Uh, gonna have to go get ramen again soon. Oh, the ramen is so good. <laughs> but I think that it's hilarious. I think that that whole bit was hilarious, and then when he even acknowledges, like, he's just like, that's the youth, that's the youth I've been missing all my life, and as soon as she's getting ready to leave, he gives her a thumbs up, and she's like, huh? Yeah, just gives her a, gives him an awkward thumbs up back. (laughs) It was, like, such a big deal to this guy, and even the the ramen shop owner was getting into it, too. Yeah, it's, uh, it reminds me of an Ellen DeGeneres bit when she's talking about, like, how, you ever see somebody on the street, and you know, and they wave at you, and you know you don't know them, but you just wave back anyway? (laughs) But, but yeah, the last uh, little skit was basically the. Well, it wasn't a skit, really. Or, yeah, it was just the the. It was just really sad. <laughs> well, no, the like the little bit before that when they were talk when uh, when uh, Kaguya and uh, Miyuki just miss each other. Yeah, pretty that much. Was sad. Yeah, it was, it was like they want to see each other really bad, and then they like just. Yeah, like, they they just miss each other. Yeah, it's and true. you see Kaguya just kind of just sitting in the chair. Just like just, just kind of wanting to be around him. Like I kind of, like, I said it. I think in the first or second episode of this series that I expected there to be like a, a feelsy mm-hmm. bit near the end. Probably, yeah. I, I didn't expect it to be so much uh, centered on the drama mm-hmm. of like Kagi's family. Yeah, or more specifically, Kagi's dad, because I don't yeah. think her mom is even around. Like she might have divorced her dad. She might be dead. I don't know if we know that. If you guys know, leave a comment. But. Uh, I'm pretty... This is a spoiler, then don't leave a comment. <laughs> or if you do, just write spoiler and give a few tabs. Just, geez, for the love of God. No, I cannot emphasize that enough. Anywho, like the last little bit, like you just find out like how much of a broken relationship she has with her father. It's actually pretty sad. All he says is, oh, you're here. Good. Like, yeah, doesn't it, even, like he never said little, good night. I was a little surprised when Hayasaka was just like, go die. Yeah, just go die, you asshole. <laughs> like, I mean, it's so it's probably Hayasaka's probably been her best friend her whole life, yeah, or at least probably. the person closest with her. So she's seen this repeatedly. And and, and then now, yeah, Kagi is lamenting, saying pretty much like, "I'm used to it. I know that I'll never have any control in my life ever." Yeah, and but it was actually kind of sweet she wanted to go and uh ha- go shopping with uh with Chica Chica's younger sister and then uh Miyuki's sister mm-hmm. and i think that was but then they had to cancel because it's just oh i've been summoned to the main house in Kyoto but then they they decided to reschedule instead yeah they just, which was really nice of them i thought mm-hmm. that was very sweet so i'm guessing the next episode they're going to reveal an arranged marriage for Kaguya I wouldn't be surprised. I hope that's not the way. I hope not because I actually do want to see uh, Kaguya and Miyuki get together. In the oh end. well, yeah. Like I, I fully expect them not to go through with the arranged marriage. I think it'll make for a really touching moment, probably. Yeah, exactly. Uh, kind of like a Romeo and Juliet situation. Yeah, probably. I, all in all, I just think that this episode was really good. Uh, there was a really cool, like, little detail, like. Like, that whole sequence when she was talking about how sucky her life is at times. Like, did you notice with the song they were playing? No. It was a slowed down, just solely piano version of the outro song. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Because the, 
and the theme of the outro is pretty much like getting away from her family. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. I thought that was just a very, like, it was a touching moment. And she finally acknowledges, like, well, I'll at least be able to see a fireworks show. Which, let's hope that you do. She's a sweet girl. Yeah. <laughs> I really want her to see a fireworks show. Next up, Magnificent Kotobuki. So, these past couple episodes, they just <laughs> decided to just, like, with the plot. Yeah, it's like the last two or three episodes of Fully Cooly. Oh, yeah. Like, the, the, the entire series is just like, yeah, random, 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 random. Plot! Yeah, plot! Yes, all of a sudden. I mean, I think, but with Fully Cooly, it was a little bit more acceptable because I think that was just part of the joke. Yeah. Like, sure. but here, it just feels a little awkward and out of place. Yeah, the plot is interesting, uh, in theory. Yeah. But the problem is they kind of are just throwing it all out at once. Yeah, like, because apparently Isao is a complete sociopath, and I was not expecting this. Yeah, there's holes in the sky leading to another world when we thought it was just another country. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then it was like, uh, all of a sudden, there's, like, the person Kilie was chasing turns out to just be a, a girl, a random girl. That... Okay, that pissed me off. That really yeah. pissed me off. I'm like, why? Why Why should we care about this person? Okay, she was just a she was just a men she was just a a student of old sab as well mm-hmm. like why did they have this like rivalry for all this time why didn't they just kill each other so uh going back to the the the, the two episode two two weeks ago episode it, it was kind of interesting seeing some of their former work friends probably yeah uh, emma had uh a friend, and then Rayona had those two friends. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's kind of just seeing them, uh, interesting seeing them reminisce about how they used to work together with those people. Yeah, just and I like of, the character designs so much in this show. Yeah, I do too. They're like, they're simple, but they're pretty remem- They're pretty memorable. Like, you can look at Emma and just automatically tell that she's just a snobby rich girl. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, yeah, she's kind of snobby. <laughs> she, she's snobby. Let's, yeah. let's not mince words here. She's kind of a snobby brat. But not a bad person, not really, but... My highlight from this episode is probably uh, when Kilia takes Alan up in the sky, and then Alan's just, like, occasionally sneaking drinks, and, <laughs> and then all of a sudden they get uh, attacked by mysterious enemies who are definitely not being puppeted by Isao. Yeah. And, and that whole dogfight scene is really cool. Cause like, because they're flying in, like, a, sl- a much slower plane. Yeah. But, uh, but um, Alan is very calculating and... He's a lot smarter than he looks. He just says, here, hold this. <laughs> and then he pulls out a fucking uh, <laughs> yeah, gun. Out a machine gun. Yeah, just, here, hold this. Uh, it's like, I shoot a little better when I have a little bit of alcohol <laughs> in me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but that whole sequence was really cool. It was shot really well, and I like how it... Because you can only shoot at different at certain angles. Yeah. So he's like, okay, turn this way. Turn this way. Turn upside down, please. And just, like, asking her to do all these, like, crazy, like, maneuvers in a plane that really isn't meant for that sort of thing. So yeah. it kind of goes, A, how good of a pilot Kilia is, and B, how good of a shot Alan can be, apparently. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. It, I mean, it was cool, but in the end it didn't matter anyways because there was too many bad guys. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then on top of that, they stole, like, uh, the HR chief. Uh, we finally figure out that he's just in cahoots with Isao all of a sudden. Because... And he goes into Alan's hospital room, steals his research, and then figures out, oh yeah, this is where the hole is supposed to appear, apparently. Yeah, it, it's just squeezing in. Like, they, they had too much stuff in one episode. They also had the, uh, Yulia, for, former counselor Yulia now. Mm. Yeah. Uh, how she got pretty much, like, 
She got assassinated. Yeah, pretty much. Like the character assassination for sure. Mm. Like because well, he almost got actually assassinated. Yeah, they no. tried to shoot her down on the way out. Yeah, the when um, Lulu offered Keely a job. Oh yeah. So so, and, and I think it was with Isao. Uh, but there was just so many plot points, and that was just in last week's episode. Yeah, this week's episode, we officially get confirmation that Isao is a complete sociopath. Yeah, like. Like as we said before, we were expecting the uh, we were expecting the main villain to be the Stand and Oil Company. That would have made sense. It would have, yeah. but no, they just threw in this other villain. I don't know if they were trying to go for a twist here, but or, or maybe Stanton was working with Isao or something, or something like that. But it makes sense. They're both trying to uh, homogenize everything. Yeah, but the biggest problem was like if this was a, like a twist they were going for, it just a, a good twist isn't just a twist that you couldn't have seen coming. Yeah, like. A good twist is something that you can see coming, but it's because the clues are there. Or, or even if there's no clues, uh, y- you can sit back and say, huh, I can see that happening. Yeah, like, just this entire bit with Isao, it's just, it didn't make any sense. It didn't feel like it was earned. Yeah. Like, because sure. we would have had no inclination to really, aside from just you, aside from Julia not really having much of a, like, not really agreeing with Isao on some matters. Yeah, they, they definitely, like played Isao up as a hero mm-hmm. earlier on, even going to the fact of saying like he saved Rayona mm-hmm. before, I think like a few years ago. Yeah. It, it, like, the narrative definitely pointed towards him being a cool guy, and it didn't really feel like they ever hinted at him being a murderer. Yeah, like... And then suddenly just like, oh yeah, he's bombing cities now. Yeah, he's bombing cities, uh, like he's just saying, hey, shoot them down, like, oh... Oh wait, they're surrendering, huh? Never mind. I guess we can't do that. That's no yeah. fun. Just what? Uh, and even Riona is thinking this doesn't make sense. Like it's like the audience. Yeah, just like it doesn't make sense. Like there has to be somebody else pulling the strings. He seems here. like such a good guy. Yeah, no kidding. It just I wouldn't have expected him to be a fucking psycho. Yeah. Uh, so Camila, uh, the girl who like showed up, the the leader of the Shoto vigilantes, takes the cake definitely for sluttiest looking vigilante I've ever seen. Yeah. But she, like, shows up with her fucking big old bazongas almost <laughs> hanging out of her top. Yeah, And, like, exactly. full-on, like, hooker makeup. Yeah. Pretty uh, much. That was, that was not appealing to look at makeup. <laughs> I was like, you do not look like a pilot. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, yeah. given uh, Riona's friends also kind of were fancy, but this was, like, I, I feel like a little too far. Yeah, like, uh, like, some, like, I wouldn't be surprised if she asked somebody, like, do I have too... Like, do I have too much makeup? Well, that depends if you're trying to kill Batman or not. <laughs> but, uh, but seriously, like, yeah, she had some of the, one of the weirdest character designs. And I will say this, though. The dogfight, once again, the yeah. dogfights in the show always are good. Yeah, the dogfight was kick-ass. How they had, a, you know, it was like, cluster missiles or something. Yeah, that was so cool. And then, like, even, like, turbine engines to, like, speed the them up and get them higher into the sky. Afterburners, thank you. Yeah. Uh, that was super cool. Um, and how they're trying to... Like, it kind of reminds me a little bit of that opening scene from uh, from Star Wars uh, Last Jedi, actually, where they had to get bombers, like, to... Like, they were trying to get bombers to, like, actually, like, drop bombs into the uh, Imperial cruisers or whatever. Yes, that is a uh, as a perfect way to spread our channel and get people to like us. Compliment the new Star Wars movie. I, Everyone loves those. I wasn't complimenting it i'm saying that's just what it reminded me of and it does make me wonder though like if it was actually relatively com a common tactic then for uh for bombers to have like 
like big ass bombers to have like escorts like that. Oh it yeah, makes it was. sense for sure. Yeah, because uh, bombers aren't designed to fight other tiny fighters. Yeah, you have to have escorts, or they're just gonna come up and shoot your bombers down. Exactly. I I just thought that was a really yeah. cool. I thought it was really cool, and it's. I'm just saying that's <laughs> just what it reminded me of. I'm not complimenting the new Star Wars movie. <laughs> by the by, so the bomber getting sucked up into the hole, I thought was kind of dumb. Uh, yeah, the not the bomber, just the bombs that it dropped. Oh, the bomber went in too. Oh, did it? Yeah, the I bomber thought... drove into the hole, and then the bombs also got sucked up along with it. Hmm. It, it was, it, it made, like it to the audience as an audience member, it seemed incredibly visible hmm. to me. Yeah, like, in the sky, maybe it wasn't if you were actually flying up there. Yeah, uh, but he was just like, "Oh, I'm gonna, we made it, finally, bomb the town," and then they just get sucked up. And I'm pretty sure that was East, that was the bomber that Isao was on, and they managed to get uh, away. He wasn't on it; he was uh, piloting for somewhere else. He just, uh, it, it got sucked up, and he's just like, "What? What happened?" Mm. Well, they said that one of the bombers got away, so I, I well, I think he was, he might have been like way in the back or something. Like I, that. I don't know, but, but either way, the the yeah, the bomber flew in through the through the portal. Yeah, I thought that was, I just thought that was really like a deus ex machina mm-hmm. situation. We're too late! Oh, by the way, the hole just decided to close up. Yeah. And, and then, uh, like we said earlier, the whole Naomi situation, the the girl who shows up and she was uh, a, another another mentor of old Seb, it definitely like cheapened the whole experience of... Uh, of of who, Kilia's rivalry with it. Yeah, with that and also we never really got an explanation of why Kilia had a rivalry with that plane in the first place. Yeah, like she just recognized that Mark, okay, that... Cool, fine, whatever. Why, if they had that much of a rivalry, what sense does it make? Yeah, and I'm definitely you know a fan more often than not of showing, not telling. But like in this situation, they needed to do a little bit of telling, or a little bit of telling, or a little bit more actually showing the rivalry yeah, and making like understand so we understand like how like show us a little bit more details about this rivalry, how they knew each other because. She because she did tell us plenty of times like oh that time you shot me down at blah blah just Kilia going on one of her random rants about it but that's really about it it just seems a little too late to bring in a new character yeah and there's like way there's, too late there's a uh, two more episodes yeah uh, I believe we just watched yeah that was episode ten yeah I mean it's I'm sure it's gonna end uh, perfectly fine it, it, I'll, I'll it'll probably have a couple more cool dog fights yeah and, uh, and is a completely average series yeah exactly so next up is mob psycho 102 claws taking over the city yeah uh i my favorite part of this episode is easily the the end bit mm-hmm. with um the the body improvement captain oh, does he have a name I, I'm sure he does i Everyone just don't call him uh, president uh, kaicho or, yeah or whatever the club president yeah. yeah. I but just want to the, say that, yeah. yeah, the Ultimate Five are really, really dangerous, unsurprisingly. Like, they have the ability to, like, like that plant-controlling guy who looks like he's controlling a bunch of Audrey Twos from Little Shop of Horrors, for instance. Mm-hmm. The Umbrella Guy. Yeah, the Umbrella Guy. Which, the only thing we've seen him do was... What did he do earlier? I think it was, like, two episodes ago. I, yeah, I remember he did something, but I don't remember. Uh, we know that he stopped uh, shows... Three-year charge-up blast. Three like months. It was three months? Yeah, yeah. three-month charge-up blast like it was nothing. Yeah, so it seems like he just has the ability to create ridiculously powerful barriers, but uh, I think it was hilarious. Like, the 7th Division of Claw, like, they were in hiding. They'd been kind of, like, trying to make themselves better, stuff like that, which, good for them. Reagan convinced them other out of it. 
and they were trying to decide, you know what, we should go up against Claw. Reagan decided, nah, I don't really want to do that until he figures out, oh wait, my, <laughs> my insurance won't cover my Gotta business. Gotta get these guys and make them pay up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just so Reagan oh, finally Reagan, got the motivation you, he needed. Uh, you are a realistic human being. Yeah, exactly. I think that uh, I think that it was kind of hilarious too that the uh, Body Improvement Club, like, like Mob gets like knocked clear across the city because he's like unconscious. He gets Dimple gets knocked out of him, but yeah. he gets punched that hard. Yeah. Was that one of the Ultimate Five, or just, like, that really big dude? I'm pretty no, sure it was. No, I don't think he was. Hmm. I think he was just, uh, one of, he, he was, he was, uh, accompanying the, uh, oh yeah, he was. Yeah, he yeah, was. Cause he, yeah, because he beat five. up the other big buff guy. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, but he was accompanying all the artificial espers that Reagan managed to just knock out. Yeah, exactly. Like, hey, With what's his... this smell like? Yeah, just, <laughs> it's like, does this smell like chloroform to you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then, uh, in the dipple, yeah, he got knocked across the city, but... Yeah, that, that scene with uh, the body improvement captain just, like, even before he got possessed, he was holding that guy. Yeah, just like. Uh, and the concrete was breaking. Yeah, that was so cool. It was so ridiculous. It was so over the top, but it was just so cool to watch. It, it was so, like, inspiring, too. It's, it's like, you go, you, you've gone through all this trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, Kageyama. Kageyama, and we're not going to let any of that go know, to waste. And then, like, Dimple decides to possess him, and I, that's when he gets, like, 100% muscles. I, 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 was, I thought he was, like, suddenly developing his own psychic powers, which I thought would have been way cooler. Yeah. Uh, but it, it was still cool seeing that, yeah, he's, this is the 100% potential of his muscles. Yeah. Not, like, artific- like psychically enhanced muscles have nothing to do with, uh, have uh, nothing on muscles that have been trained and honed yeah. every single day. <laughs> the, the animation sequence was just so kick-ass. Yeah. And then we actually get to see another really cool moment in that with uh, Kageyama showing his powers, like, to the yeah, body improvement yeah, club. showing him off in front of them for the yeah, first like, time. Yeah, kind of, like, I think he'd kind of forgotten about it, like, briefly, but then he just kind of... Well, no, I don't think he forgot. It was a situation of he had to use it or else they were going to die. Yeah, and that, because, like, uh, because the body improvement club captain couldn't do that, he's like, I can't even feel my arms <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm surprised he didn't actually get injured from... Yeah, being... like, his arms didn't break or something like that. Yeah. But... Well, yeah. then again, it was probably he also had kind of dimple psychic powers to shield or whatever. Yeah, exactly. But then this recent episode, holy shit, where there's so many cool fight sequences. Yeah, there was uh, the Shimazaki fight with all the claw people. That was so cool. Show attacking his dad. Yeah. And uh, like Mogami was... showing up again. That yeah. was so creepy. Yeah, that was really cool though. Yeah, because uh, you saw that he actually took all those words that Mob said to heart. Because mm-hmm. after he showed up and beat the guy, he's just like, "Well, I hope you're right about all this." And he, I'm, I'm assuming he finally actually passed on. Yeah, I think so. It's either that, like either that, or um, uh, like Mogami had had spent a little bit of time, but then he actually recognized that uh, that Mob had probably surpassed him in some way. He's like. Being kind, being kind all the time won't solve everything. You sometimes you have to be hard on people in order to truly make a difference. Do that, and you'll be invincible. So I think he was actually kind of giving his last little bit of advice to Mob, which would have been really cool, actually. Yeah. Like, but uh, and yeah, even Dimple's like, so is Mogami gone for good this time, or is he just kind of off to the side somewhere? I think he finally probably was able to pass on. Yeah. And I think that it was really cool when the artificial espers were just kind of looting the place and robbing the store. They were trying to basically say to Mob, like, oh, yeah, if you actually have powers, you can do anything you want. And then Mob was like, well, could you really 
could you really just uh like make the garden like make a garden that actually produces the lettuce in this sandwich stuff like that yeah that's pretty much like the theme of the like the first half of the first season yeah having powers doesn't make you special is pretty much what mob was getting at and then yeah the the biggest highlight of this episode though was definitely the Shimazaki fight. Like at first it was just Ritsu versus Shimazaki Which and was, he was getting his ass kicked. It was a little hard to watch cuz he was just getting thrown around like a rag. It's sort of like the uh it's sort of like the Clanad fight when Tomoya was going up against one of that uh one of the gang leaders if you remember that bit. Yeah, just yeah. getting his ass kicked mm-hmm. the whole time. But then uh the the team fight was definitely really cool. Yeah, it was super cool. How they all just eventually learn uh like he can't only defend against so many attacks. And then Hanazawa's actually able to, like, catch up and figure out where he's going to go. Yeah, he's like, you rely way too much on your powers. It's sort of a matter of, uh, it's just a matter of being able to predict where you're going to move at this point because you're, the way you've done things is incredibly repetitive. It's sort of like what they did in JoJo, like uh, the most recent episode where Narancia was figuring out how uh, how uh, Crush was working. Or yeah, Clash. Yeah, always going to be next. Yeah, exactly. It's just a matter of predicting. I thought that was really cool. But then Shimazaki introduces his other power of Mind's Eye. That was a really cool sequence, actually, even though for just for being still frames. Yeah, I think it was really cool because... They put just enough animation in Yeah, that. it was basically... And it was just, I think, a really good way of... A, it saved on animation costs in that little sequence. <laughs> and B, it was just a matter of he's moving so quickly that you can't really even perceive it happening. Yeah, it's 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 faster than even the audience can see. Yeah, I thought I they think do that, they do that in like DBZ and stuff too. Yeah, exactly. It, it's definitely when done well, it's a good way of showing how fast someone can be. Exactly. And not just a lazy attempt at cutting animation costs, but... Uh, Although, uh, even his mind's eye couldn't save him from Reagan's... Self-defense rush! <laughs> and then, I love how the narrator said, he shouts self-defense rush in a situation where he's not entirely sure if it's self-defense or not. Yeah, because if everyone around you hears self-defense, then they're like, oh, that's obviously self-defense. <laughs> I just... I... I I feel like they space it out just enough of him doing that shit that I never expected to happen. Yeah, because because while a mob was walking up looking all intimidating, you just see like Shimazaki going on this monologue, and all of a sudden Reagan just kind of starts walking in <laughs> just from the beats this. the shit out of him. <laughs> yeah. Oh my! I God. love how they just keep using that theme of psychics have shitty bodies. Yeah, it it makes sense. Yep. <laughs> I think that it's. And then Mob finally decides that he's going to go up against the boss himself, which I was wrong about something. The boss, is, and turns out, is a very powerful yeah. aspirant. <laughs> like, I was thinking he might be kind of like Reagan and might just be conning everyone. Nope. He's incredibly yeah, powerful. He's a super strong guy. I, I think Mob's probably going to have to fight uh, Umbrella Guy first. Mm-hmm. And then probably fight the boss. Because uh, it, it's interesting how he took the words of uh, KG. This is like, you're going to have to be hard on people sometimes. And the way he took that was, you guys stay behind because you will actually just get in my way. I'm sorry I have to tell you that, but you're just going to get in my way. You're wounded. You have, yeah. you can't, you took way too much damage in that fight against Shimazaki. Which is probably, he's probably right. Like, they do it because if they're getting attacked, then he'd have to protect them and he's not going to be able to go all out. No, I mean, yeah, he brings up a very valid point. Like, they would just hold him back. But at the same time, I think that it's kind of interesting that uh, what kind of person the boss is. Just the amount of preparation he did. I traveled the world for 20 years just to see if world domination was actually (laughs) possible. Turns out it is. 
Turns out it is, because in his 20 years of travel, he never met a... He never met an Esper that was more powerful than he was. Well, clearly he hasn't met Mob. So... Yeah, that's definitely going to be a kick-ass fight. Yeah, it, it, I mean, if the episode against with uh, Mogami was any indication, and that was just like halfway through. Well, the well, guy who did that fight isn't going to be... Yeah, I know, I know, but <laughs> it's going to be... It's going to be bones. Yeah, yeah just, I, I definitely believe they're still going to do it justice. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be... It's going to be a badass fight. I'm looking forward to it. Next up. My roommate is a cat. Feels this most recent episode. Like, that's all I have to say about it. It feels most of the episodes, really. Uh, yeah, but this most recent episode, I think, like, and I know that you said that you feel that it's a little bit heavy-handed at times. I, I don't know. Like, I think they've done a little bit, they've kind of caught their stride and have gotten a little bit more uh, in touch with how they're supposed to convey that. Because this most recent episode, I think, did a really good job of that. But, so last episode... What did happen last episode? Uh, the last episode was yeah, Hiroto's sister and her friend coming over. Oh, that's right. And how that was super confusing. Because I think you even wrote in the notes for last week, Haru the cat and Haru yeah. the person. Yeah, writing notes uh, for that situation was annoying as fuck. Yeah, exactly. You had to put in parentheses next to everyone which Haru exactly you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. The uh, That episode, that episode was just... It was just kind of uh, Subaru realizing, eh, they're kids. They're just having, like, he wasn't, I think it was hilarious. It's like, oh, I'm going to sleep in, have a good day. Ding dong. Oh, crap, I have visitors. Yeah, I think he woke up around, like, like 2 p.m. or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, it was it was really cool seeing how, because once he saw um, Haru, the person, make the food, he's realizing, oh, yeah, this is a, a delicious meal that it's really simple. Maybe I can also make it too. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And I think it was kind of hilarious when uh, he was going to the grocery store, which he'd never really been to the grocery store, apparently. Never really even cooked for yeah, how do you how, how have you never been to a grocery store? Jesus Christ. I keep getting surprised by how much of a shut-in he is. Yeah, no kidding. And how much I consider myself a shut-in. <laughs> yeah, and so he goes to the grocery store and everybody's like telling, like all these different people are saying, like... It's like, hey, buy this meat. Uh, okay, here's a free yeah. sample. Okay. I, I, a, I mean, I feel like we've all been in a situation where you just want to go into a store, get something, leave, and they're like, oh, would you like to buy this condo, or would you like to sell us your soul? It's like, no, I wouldn't. I but... just want cheese. It's leave me alone. Just leave me alone. But <laughs> Hiroto shows what a good friend he is by being that voice of reason, saying, hey, I'm sorry, my friend's kind of a, is kind of socially inept. Uh, he actually doesn't need this stuff. Yeah, uh, it was... Yeah, Hiroto is reliable in certain situations. Yeah. yeah I think was, he's reliable in a lot of situations. He's just been that person that's been kind of sticking around. He's, he's a little bit of a goofball. He's but, reliable in terms of you always see him eating a fish sausage every time he's on screen, pretty much. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, that's true. And it's always at a Subaru's fridge. Yeah. He well, always... I, mean, just, I feel like he brings over more than he eats, probably. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the the scene where he was making food was really sweet to watch, just because there were so many moments where he was about to stop. And he realizes, like, ah, oh, maybe I shouldn't stop. Maybe I should actually work hard on this. Yeah. And, like, because he wanted just to have it... He wanted to have dinner with his family at that mm-hmm. point. Because yeah, Haru was a member of his family. Yeah, he wanted Haru to eat tasty food. And, yeah. And, uh... The Haru's perspective of this episode was adorable. Oh, that's right. Her her constant struggle between tasty food and, no, wait, I I have to make sure he eats first. Yeah, (laughs) that was was adorable. I just just love Haru's little, like, so protective. 
Yeah, she's Guard Cat Haru, or Big Sis Haru, I guess. Which I guess makes sense. Like, I've heard that commonly... I don't know how true this is, but I have heard that cats often see um, uh, see humans as, like, big, dumb babies that need protection. And so, if that's if that's true, then they're certainly channeling that perspective here. Yeah, that's definitely how it's portrayed, for sure. Yeah, I lo- which I think was adorable. It was super adorable how it was handled here. But, uh, yeah, talking about this most recent episode, yeah, I still don't like how they're handling... I, I don't like how they handle Subaru being sad about his parents. Uh, I feel like they... Because they, they play the flashbacks of the parents, and then they play sad music, and mm-hmm. Subaru looks sad. Uh, it just... It feels like they had good ideas for how they wanted to handle it, but whoever was directing it, um, they, they didn't know how to do it necessarily in the most organic way. I guess that makes sense. I think that uh, one scene that actually did, like, they did do it quite well on was the scene when... Uh, was the scene when he was talking with Kawase over the phone, like what hotel he was wanting to stay at, and he was listing off all the hotels, and then he remember, like he overheard the one that uh, his parents ended up staying at, and then there was like a brief, there was a brief cut of like him, I'm assuming just right after the funeral, like right after the funeral, him seeing like the the hotel that was circled and him just ripping the paper down and him being really sad. I think that was a pretty good way of showing it. Like they didn't really show his parents. You were able to just kind of connect the dots, which I think was I thought was personally handled pretty well. I liked that, but uh, and I think that it was ultimately like a really good way of wanting to portray like why he wanted to go to this place, like why he wanted to go to Hokushima in the first place, because it was for his mom, and his mom had been wanting to go there because she because she wanted to bring him to see the these really cool, like, blue flowers and, like, really vibrant blue dyes because Subaru's always liked the color blue, apparently. Yeah. They're definitely portrayed his mom as, like, the sweetest lady. Yeah. And she was, like, so patient with him and never forced him to go anywhere. Yeah, like, how they all... They even said how she always made three reservations, like, reservations for three in the event that he ever wanted to change his mind at any time. I guess that's... That's another, maybe, a little complaint I have is that maybe his... His parents almost seem too perfect at times. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, all, he, all he remembers is... I mean, that, that, could, that could just be his perspective. All that could all, yeah, it could memories. also just be his grief kicking in. You start to yeah. remember the... You start to remember the, like, the good things and kind of more painful things and how you feel guilty about that more than anything else. And I think that's... I think that's, like, a relatively real way of portraying grief, though. Like, because usually when someone is sad and grieving about stuff like that, it's always that... People always tend to go to those what if, what if, what if situations. What if I had done this? I should have done this. I could have done that and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And he kind of, and it shows that it's just a kind of an ever-present process. It's something, like, even if he said, I can't change the past, I can only work towards making it tomorrow better, you still slip into that every once in a while. You were still yeah. sad. And he, I think it was a good way for him to want to reconnect with his parents and probably put, probably put those to rest for good. Yeah, like, I, I really liked... Uh, his decision to go to this specific place, like you said earlier, uh, because it was, it, it was uh, the last place his parents went to um, yeah. before they died. Before, mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's where he saw him last. Yeah. I think that it would have, I think that it would have been a little, I agree that it could have been a little handled better, but overall, I liked how they portrayed it here. Like, I liked, like, his decision to go there and ultimately, like, his realization and ultimately why he realized stuff like that. But... There's a bigger problem. Haru's now alone. Yeah. I, I mean, it's... it's. 
I think they're making it to be a bigger deal than it needs to be. Yeah. Uh, because he... I, I feel like Kawase... Or not Kawase, uh, Hiroto mm-hmm. will go back and... Like, all he needs to do is call him, and he'll probably go over there and take care of his cat if he needs to. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, like, when he goes and checks on the flight that's going to be late, it's just like, Oh, no! This is the way the end of the world! It, it, it's not really. Like they're making that to... I, I know they're they're trying to do... They're trying to make a big dramatic conclusion for the show. Yeah. Because it's, it's almost over, but, like... Your cat's gonna be by itself for maybe a few more hours. You can call someone to take take care of it. Yeah, you could. I mean, you could have like because he wanted to bring it just to, like at a kennel, mm-hmm. like. But he wanted to check check it into a pet hotel. Yeah, but Haru was not having any of that. And during that sequence, they played like the most stock cat sound effects you ever. That sound effect, like everybody's yeah, heard. Like someone put the push the angry cat button on a soundboard. <laughs> exactly, it was like the most stock cat sound effects I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. It was hilarious, but I don't know. I just I don't understand why they're play, like trying to make it such a bigger a bigger deal than it needs to be. Like he could have left it with Narumi, for instance. Yeah, uh, or I don't know. Like, and, or even Hiroto, like you said, is going to check up on her anyway, so probably just have her stay with, like, have him stay with her for a little while. Yeah, these are, like, the complaints aside, I'm, I'm sure it'll still end in a fine way. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure that it's, I'm sure that's gonna end good. Mm-hmm. I, I like this series, it's been Surprisingly good. good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, uh, I almost forgot, um... It was a really sweet little scene when Yugo showed up to his house. Oh, that's right. Uh, apologizing for how he treated him. It's just yeah. like, it's always, it's always nice seeing uh, somebody that appreciates your work. Yeah, exactly. I and, agree. And, and I feel like every time that happens to him, he kind of comes out of his shell a little bit more. Yeah. I I still think that it has enough. I think that that particular scene doesn't have anything on the uh, scene with the little boy asking him to show oh, yeah. his hand. I, I, <laughs> for sure. I, I, I that like that. was the that. biggest of those scenes, for yeah, sure. Yeah, for real. But the Yugo bit certainly did a good job. So, next up is The Price of Smiles. Also known as How Not to End a Fucking oh Series. Oh god, it was such a terrible ending. Like, like it was alright before the credits. Like, like, that's an okay ending, like, I guess. It, it's sort of like, um, like, okay, you know what? The series had problems, and it could, like, and it was sort of open-ended, sort of ambiguous, maybe a little arty. I would have been okay with that. Then they played the after-credits scene. This is literally how not to end a series. Yeah, because before they played the credit scene, it was um, like a maybe. We don't know what's going to happen. Like yeah. maybe everything's going to suck, and that was that. That was what made the decision. That was that was what made Stella's decision interesting. Mm-hmm. Because Stella was like, well, because she was arguing with Yuki, saying you're not just going to shut down the military. You're going to shut down like our food supplies. Yeah, you're going to shut down our. Um, our, our infrastructure for communications and all that jazz. You're going. You're basically going to fundamentally change the world, and maybe not everybody's going mm-hmm. to be able to survive in that. Exactly. It made it sound like it would be a really shitty situation for the anywhere in the near future. Mm-hmm. But after the credit scene, it was just like, eh, "Happy at the orphanage, you know, kids. Everyone's happy. No one's upset." Here's a oh, oh the empire just decided to sign a treaty, and we're going to be friends now. No! Yeah, just, just, like, no! no consequences that we saw. Yeah, which just... Ugh, this is, like, darling in the fl- in the Franks level frustrating. Yeah. I, I'm i not as frustrating at... Uh, I'm not as frustrated at this as I was darling in the Franks because I feel like darling in the Franks was a amazing show for mm-hmm. most of it. Mm-hmm. And then it got really poopy at the end. Yeah. This was an 
it, it was like an above average show at the beginning and it kind of slowly petered down. So at this point I wasn't really that upset. Yeah. I accept the, I mean, I was, I was fully prepared to give the show like a five at the end. That ending just made me go, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's no, that no, just, just no. I don't have any words. There's no words. They're just anger. Uh, I thought the episode leading up to that, uh, episode 11 was, was not that bad actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked the, I liked Huey's kind of bit where he yeah. was, he started kind of lashing out and it was kind of mourning in his own way. Yeah. And then Stella finally punching him in the face. Yeah. After getting punched in the face herself. Yeah. And then, no, she, like he punched her back. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then the two, and just sort of like the two of them sort of coming to an understanding, like the reason why she punched him is because she saw like how she used to be in him and she hated that. Yeah. Uh, and, and then the the whole mobile artillery, mobile artillery bluff was yeah, that was really play. that was really cool. I mean, there were some pretty like this series has been like a has been a bunch of interesting ideas, but just then less than stellar follow through. And in the case of the ending, like the absolute ending scene, c- complete garbage. Yeah, it just flopped. Yeah, it just so hard. Yeah. It's sort that, of, that, that doesn't erase like all the cool bits before, yeah. but it certainly it like, certainly leaves a very bad impression. Yeah. It's it kind of like the way that it hits the ground. It kind of reminds me of that scene from Asabi Asabase when she when the uh, president of the shogi club like uh, goes flying, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then hits the ground and eats shit. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of exactly what it reminds me of. We've got to talk about the scene when she finally pushes the button, and then mm. like this dramatic music starts flaring up. It's kind of a really pretty scene. Mm. Uh, you see robots shutting down, lots of like lights turning off, and everything. Yeah, it's like oh, that's a pretty cool scene. But they kind of like they just end the scene in the middle of the song, and mm-hmm. the song just kind of fades out. Mm-hmm. Like it sounds like they cut off the song early. Yeah, like when you're doing a scene with a really dramatic song, you have to do the whole song. Yeah, or it doesn't play the scene very well. Yeah, they. They and then on top of that, it's it kind of just feels like the ending direction for this episode. It's like, oh, we had like an idea for something kind of arty, sort of ambiguous and stuff like that, kind of end of Evangelion ish. But then, uh, but then like another director or whoever was in charge of the project says, no, we can't have any of that shit. Let's just add this little like three minute snippet of the cre- like after the credits where everything's hunky dory. What they should have done, which would have made it slightly better, is play the goddamn opening for yeah. that sequence. Yeah, because no then it would at least elicited my Pavlovian response of "Yeah, they're playing the opening in the last episode." Yeah, yeah. It's I mean that's I think we <laughs> I think we've made that point before where it's just almost always hype. Yeah. Like anytime they play the intro in like the last episode or like in the big climactic scene. Yeah. yeah the so, so later on we'll be uh in a, in a, whenever we do a wrap up we'll be talking about the series as a whole. Yeah, I think that I think that there was just some really weird decisions made here, like. I guess what I guess kind of what I was expecting from this series was a little bit like of a mishmash of like a like the plot of Code Geass and uh, Tales of Vesperia kind of because like the Krars are sort of like the Blastia and stuff like that how they're like kind yeah. of changing the world structure and stuff like that I was and then like with uh, with Yuki and uh, Stella kind of having opposing ideals I was expecting kind of a uh, Suzaku Lelouch sort of ri- kind of rivalry going on. And even uh, Layla, which she died in the most trite way possible. Oh, yeah. Like, I gotta uh, save my daughter. Like, okay, this would have been a lot more impactful if the audience didn't already know that these two were related from, like, fucking miles away. Yeah. Like, they telegraphed this so... 
so hard that the moment that it's just like, oh, she's going to die. She's going to die. And there she is. She's I, dead. I actually would have liked to have seen a lot more if, uh, let's say, for example, uh, Stella walks in and then she's kind of typing on the computer. She shoots it and turns around and then uh, maybe like reaches back to activate something else. And then Stella just shoots her in the head. Mm. Like that would have been so much better because that would have been because it would have been so tragic. Yeah. Because um, uh, Layla realizes that uh, it's her daughter in like the last second. Uh, we could have had Layla realize, oh, that's my daughter. Bang! Pulls the trigger. Gets shot in the head. Yeah. Killed by her own daughter. That would have yeah. been such a fantastic way to do yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, and or even like shot like in the chest or something. So while she was bleeding out, she could still like oh, think yeah. to her. She could still think to herself, "My, you both are my precious daughters." Which that is another thing to bring up. Like it would have been very interesting. Could like that whole thing could have been like a rivalry sort of between sisters, pretty much. Like a like the like because kind of clash of ideals and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, the series really should have just gone on for two cores. Yeah, well, really. well, let's let's save this for yeah. our season wrap-up. Anyway, talking I'm sorry. About, talking I, about the series as a whole later on. But, yeah. Disappointing last episode. <laughs> yeah, disappointing last episode. Promised Neverland. Complete opposite. Com- <laughs> <laughs> not disappointing at all episode. Okay, the episode before it, before this episode, was fucking depressing yeah just like, seeing uh an absolutely defeated emma and norman not not norman or uh, emma ray. and ray yeah yeah because this whole the whole episode before was all about oh norman's uh shipping date is finally set norman's going to be shut set off he's going to die and norman was totally willing to just let it happen yeah because that's that's how his plan yeah. works yeah and it just like just seeing like how norman just seeing how, like, Ray and Emma are trying to talk him out of it, saying, no, we can still salvage this, we can still do something, you ju- you don't have to do something this crazy, and even, uh, even Emma's, like, last-ditch effort. Oh my god, the show does suspense so well, that scene just had me where she, off of my seat, pretty much. Yeah, where she ran up, going to hug him, but then she was going to use, like, the, uh, the tracking device, basically jammer, like, yeah. put it on his ear and tell him, run. But then she, but then he basically just throws her to the ground and says, "No, don't be an idiot." Yeah, that was it, it. Was so hard um, when when she fi- watching when she finally like just accepts it mm-hmm. and she and she can't even talk because mm-hmm. she's probably afraid she's gonna burst into tears. Yeah, she's like, "You, you gotta be good now." She just responds with, mm. "Yeah, no mm. kidding." And even Isabella basically just threatening her like by whispering in her ear, "If you cause another scene, I'll kill you." Like. Ugh, God, so chilling. I'll break your other leg. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why she sounds like Mickey Mouse all of a sudden, but... Uh, so I want to point out that... Uh, so when, when Mama or Isabella brings Norman out... Um, well, really quick, the scene where she, when, when he asked her if she's happy mm. was really interesting. Just seeing that kind of jerked, knee-jerk response out of her. Yeah. She almost stops. Like the, yeah, where... Like, yeah, it's just sort of like, like the facade kind of, like the facade kind of breaks for like a fraction of a second. Yeah. Uh, but she, she takes him into the, into the gate area and then she's like, Hey Norman, go sit in that room for a while. Mm -hmm. That seemed kind of weird to me. Like, I I feel like maybe it's because Norman accepted it and he's not going to try and run away. So that's normal to do. Cause we've never, the only time we've ever seen it was with, uh, Crone and, um, and Connie. And Connie, we didn't really see yeah, what we just saw the aftermath. Yeah, and, and we saw, and we knew that Crone was trying to defend herself. So, yeah, so they had to kill her right there. Maybe they, maybe that's like a processing room, or maybe uh, Isabella had a plan for Norman. Mm. 
Well, I mean, I think because he was such special merchandise, there must have been something that he had fa- that had been factored in. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, we don't really know what had happened. What happened to Norman? But the but the ending the the ending of this episode, like, there was just like the sequence of like just everybody trying to talk to Emma, trying and Ray just kind of like absent-mindedly reading a book. I don't even think he was reading. He might have just even just staring at the fucking book. Yeah. Off his face. Making it look like he's given up. Yeah. And a very interesting point that you say, making it look like he's yeah. given up. <laughs> because at the end, it's like, Emma, you... So tell me the truth. You haven't given up, have you? Oh my god. That, that look on her face. Yeah, I'm a stab a bitch look. Yeah, oh no kidding. Holy shit. Uh, it, it didn't. It, she had a, di- a bit different of a response than I expected, though, because uh, when the next episode started and she didn't look like that anymore, like I was, I was kind of expecting her to be like, "Yeah, we're gonna go kill mom tonight." Yeah. Uh, but she, yeah, she, she credit to her, she focused more on coming up with a plan to actually get everyone to escape and not just getting revenge. Yeah, which I think was really cool. And, and this most re- recent episode was probably the best episode yet. Yeah. Like, no, oh and, my god. All like, the planning that happened. Yeah, like the planning on Ray's behalf for starters. Like, just like, hey, don't underestimate my six years of preparation. Like how he's getting ready to start. <laughs> oh, on that it. crazy look in his face as he's dousing himself. Yeah, with and him saying, it's child, it's such petty childish revenge, uh, but I'm finally yeah. going to deny them yeah, the, the feast they've been waiting 12 years the for. VA. Yeah, for him, just yeah. fucking killed it. Yeah, uh, he just sounded absolutely just fucking insane. Yeah. I, I don't know his name. Uh, or her name. It might have been a Their girl. name, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but just the, just how absolutely insane they sounded and how he was getting ready to light himself on fire. Just bye-bye, Emma. The, yeah, the storyboarding in this episode was just on point because I, I loved how they, they skipped ahead to um, Emma just crying and screaming. And then the then the the reveal later on where they showed all the plans how they went into place was so good because they were there were situations where they didn't necessarily give you all the clues. Mm-hmm. I mean, they gave you a lot of the clues for mm-hmm. sure, but it was it was a situation where you're like, yes, I could have seen that happening. Mm, uh, it yeah. was like how we said, um, uh, what were we talking about just now? Um, I before I, now, before this, I don't know. Oh, uh, uh, Price of Smiles. We were talking about Price of Smiles before this. Uh, or JoJo. I think it was like, yeah, it might have been JoJo. It was it was earlier in this episode of the podcast. Mm-hmm. I don't fucking remember. I have the brain of a ninety year old man. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, it's just how it it felt so good how all these plans worked out. It's like I definitely think they earned everything they put up there. Happening. Yeah, the uh, the thing about Emma, like you kind of start sometimes you get it's easy to forget sometimes why she's one of the top scorers, but after seeing this, you're like, okay, that's why. <laughs> Because, Jesus Christ. Yeah, because it wasn't her plan, per se, because it was all Norman's instructions that he left behind, mm-hmm. along with the, the key that Crone left out of spite. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she did, like, she definitely executed it perfectly. Well, and then there was just some thi- like, even some of her ideas, like, were basically would help Norman get through them, is basically... Oh, yeah, like, telling all the kids about that? Yeah, like... That was surprising. Like, yeah. I didn't... I, I, I guess you gotta give credit to kids. Mm-hmm. They're... They're, they're not, um, mm-hmm. they're not retarded. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. The, uh, the other thing about the, the other thing about this plan, though, like, when, so the scene right before, like, the fire starts, like, you see Mama just, like, kind of tucking the kids in. I thought it was a flashback for a second, because, like, the baby she was, like, tucking in, it looked like a, I was, I thought it was a baboo version of Emma, because yeah. it kind of looked like Emma, because it seems like they kind of reused a few different character designs here, but... 
when she goes into her um uh, when she goes back into her office and the bells start chiming saying oh it's uh it's Ray's birthday it's midnight she says happy birthday goodbye but then right be- but then after she says goodbye you hear Emma screaming Ray so it almost could have been like she was going to say goodbye Ray like it just that's kind of the detail that I personally thought of yeah. like it could she could have just as easily said goodbye Ray or but and then when she finds out like that Emma just ran off and then cut her ear off yeah that's definitely a lot of resolve there cuz yeah. uh well, it, Emma and Ray both cut their ear off mm-hmm. um, to to use to leave it behind as a decoy. It's just like, ugh. Yeah, and I want to point out something that there is a there's actually a very cool little detail that I didn't notice the first time watching this. But uh, Mama said something very specific when she saw Emma's ear, and then like she kind of freaked out for a second. She said, "What was on those children's feet? The shoes, right? Yeah, the shoes. Yeah, because like if." If you're going out to avoid a fire, you're mm-hmm. not going to stop to grab your shoes. You're just going to go out. So. Yeah, but in the but in a prior scene, you see like if you it's something you could very easily miss. But when she goes to tell Gilda, "Hey, get everybody and get outside," Gilda's wearing her shoes like in that scene. Like, yeah, yeah, and and if you get up for a fire, yeah, all of a sudden you're not already going to have your shoes on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a really good detail. Yeah, it was just a nice little detail. Like, of course, like. It's just something that you don't really pay attention to because of the situation. And obviously, since she was panicking, the audience is panicking, like, she's not going to notice that. But then when you kind of go, wait, holy shit, that was awesome. <laughs> uh, like, the the final um, nail in the coffin, though, was something I did not expect whatsoever. Yeah. And uh, when she's, she's kind of smiling, oh, like, they're still alive, I can go get them. And then when Phil tugs on her leg. Yeah. I was like, ah, oh, shit, like, because... I know Emma's not going to leave someone behind to die. Yeah. So, I, at least I think she's not going to leave someone behind to die. because So either she's got a plan to come back and get them later, mm-hmm. or she finally just realized we can't save everybody. Yeah, like, because even Ray kind of finds it a little bizarre. He's like, wait, is this really all of us? Yeah. And then he's like, nope, it's not all of you guys. Because they, they, they brought the babies with them, right? No, they didn't. They didn't? No, oh, okay. I don't think so. Like, I think it was just all the, uh, it was most of the, just sort of like the somewhat older kids. I, I think it would actually be really fascinating if Emma actually did it at the point where she realized you can't, like, we're not going to be able to save all these babies. Yeah, exactly. I think that, uh, and I think that she did, and knowing Emma, she probably has a plan in place. Or, yeah, probably. Or Norman Or, or at least she has in. the intention yeah. to do it later if she can. But yeah, she kind of does realize that. Ray and Norman have both been kind of right, right on this front. They can't save everybody right, right now. Basically, sort of a live to fight another day situation. Yeah, like because at the end of the day, Phil and everybody are—they're still merchandise. They still have to kind of keep up the facade. Like they can't—I mean—and especially if they're good. Like Phil, I'm pretty sure is a pretty smart little four-year-old. Like, I yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's the joke of he's the ge- biggest genius in the entire show. Like, yeah. I mean, there's that joke. But I think that, yeah, Phil definitely recognizes stuff that is, uh, that most of the audience doesn't know. But I think it's a that... It's a pretty cool narrative device. Yeah, exactly. I think that... I'm just looking forward to seeing the conclusion of this season. Was, was this 11? This was 11. Yeah. Episode 12 is the... Yeah. Uh. I... I'm sitting on pins and needles here. I need to see the finale yeah. of this season. <laughs> Holy shit. I think I don't think I've been this hyped for a show in a while. 
but oh my god. So next up is the quintessential quintuplets. AKA uh, Harem Mind Games continued. Yeah, like, I didn't expect everyone to be getting in on this uh, liking uh, Uesugi situation. Like, I thought it was going to be more of a situation where they're all kind of friends and then maybe one of them likes him. Yeah. But now we got, like, uh, uh, I mean, Itsuki kind of. Yeah. She, she was, I think she was, like, the first one that started liking him, kind no, of. No, well, I think she kind of, I think that she started definitely liking him more platonically. Like, I think that Miku was definitely the first one to be so visibly interested. Yeah, yeah that's that's true. Yeah. Uh, we got Itsuki kind of does, uh, Miku does, Ichiki does, Yotsuba, it's kind of ambiguous. Yotsuba, I'm not, yeah, Yotsuba we're not sure of. She's yeah. a wild card. Um, and then Nina likes him with a blonde wig on. <laughs> exactly. She, li- she likes his uh, alter ego, Kintaro. Which, so, the test of courage. Let's talk a little bit about that. It was... Yotsuba decides, "Hey, I'll help you out because you're the only one doing this. Let's start sca- let's start scaring everybody. Let's scare my sisters." And each Itsuki and Nina and Nino, not Nina, Christ. Uh they they run in and Itsuki runs off like a little bitch and and starts running off in the wrong direction towards a fucking cliff. Yeah, I uh, they they actually put a lot of focus on that charm mm-hmm. that um Raiha gave to to Uesugi, because that charm ends up saving Nino from falling off a fucking cliff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, yeah, this entire, uh, like, this entire episode, she was just basically convinced that, uh, like, like, she's like, oh, you're the guy from the picture that yeah, I remember. Yeah. I love his attempts to dissuade her. He's like, like, oh, I yeah. can't wait to go drink alcohol, even though I'm underage. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely like, a, how do you do, fellow kids? How do you Situ- do, fellow adults? Yeah, no kidding. Like, oh, man, I'm such a, how do you do, fellow delinquents, I guess? Yeah, and although we can tell that this is all complete shallow attraction. Yeah, exactly. Because when he switches to, like, Oh, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go do homework, and I'm I'm really smart, and I know all these things. And she's like, "Oh, you're smart too." Yeah, <laughs> it's like Nina, you're a fucking thirsty bitch. <laughs> yeah, just because. Yeah, it's just like, oh, she's just a. See, he seems like a bad boy, but he's also smart. Holy shit! Yeah, she's she's the only person that I feel like doesn't actually like him. She just wants his dick. Yeah, exactly. Or yeah, she's or she just likes or she likes King Toto. She likes him as long as he has a blonde wig on. Yeah, exactly. I think that it's I think that it's kind of interesting, like because uh, he gets hit in the face by something, and uh, I think like it wasn't at a branch or something, like hits him in the face, and he gets uh, a cut. I don't remember. So yeah, Nino gives Nino gives him a bandage, and that's on it, and that's on his head. That actually kind of becomes a plot point in the uh, this week's episode, and at the end, uh, Yotsuba and Yotsuba and uh, Uisugi are both uh, helping each other like prepare the campfire. And then Ichigo decides to tag along. And then, of course, they get locked in a fucking cabin together. Yeah, that was, uh, that was actually a really, a real, well, uh, kind of a hard-to-watch scene because you, like, what seemed like such a simple statement to Uisugi of... We should call it off. Yeah, maybe we should call off. Then you get the realization of how much Ichigo was actually looking forward to it. Yeah, she starts she's crying. Just, yeah, with, without even realizing that she's... She didn't even realize how much she was looking forward to it until, yeah. he, until he says, no, let's not do it. Yeah, exactly. It was it's like, oh, Ichigo, you're such a good big sister. Yeah, like, you just want to help out your little sisters, even if it kind of causes you great pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the following episode, like, they're just, 
they're kind of just chilling out, thinking they're like, okay, how do we get out of here? Like, because people are gonna start saying weird things if they if we don't get out of here. Um, I, I loved his his deja vu from mm-hmm. her thighs, yeah, on his face because it was. I'm assuming it's probably back to when he was sleeping on her lap, yeah, during the fireworks thing. Yeah, it's like, don't you dare say I'm, say I'm heavy. Don't worry, I won't. By the way, you're too heavy for me to lift up. <laughs> realistic protagonist is realistic. Yeah. I actually like the fact that he is a... That he's, that Futuro is actually a character. Like, he's, yeah, not, he's not just a blank MC that's a badass at everything. Yeah, exactly. I think it's kind of cool that he actually does have faults and he is a person. Like, he feels like an actual person at yeah. the end of the day. Uh, going back to, like, how Ichiki is such a big sister... Or such a good big sister. Um, when she learns that the bonfire... When she learns what the actual superstition is... And she asks if Miku knew about it. Yeah, she immediately is like, ah, shit. She, I, yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, she starts feeling like super guilty. Because she's like, oh, that's why Miku was looking forward to it. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting character dynamic between her and Miku. Yeah. And, uh, and Uesugi. Mm-hmm. Because like, there's guilt on both sides. Because Ichika kind of likes him. But she also knows that Miku likes him. She wants Miku to be happy. And Miku does, it feels like she's being greedy mm-hmm. by wanting all of his time. Line was, um, like, it's greedy to want someone all to yourself. Mm, yeah. That's what she said a, a few episodes ago. I think so. Yeah, that sounds about that sounds about right. Uh, and then it was actually a pretty nice moment when uh, when, Ichi- when Ichiko was just looking at, at uh, Futuro and saw, like... Uh, well, it's by the way, don't worry about it. But on a, but in exchange, let's have a little campfire dance right here, right now. Well, that was the scene right before the sad scene. Yeah, like and <laughs> they didn't actually get to dance. Yeah, and that was actually like a few of the shots in this. By the way, looked like they were something out of like March comes in like a lion or something like that. Like the just the way like the art style kind of changed at some places. It looked like it was handled by Studio Shaft in some spots. I mean, and what, that, what are you talking about? Like, what spots? Like, uh, like when, uh, when you see, like, Ichika kind of offering her hand up to dance with her, like, it sort of looks like the art style kind of changed, become, came a little bit more pastel coloring. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, yeah, they do that some, I think that's, I think when they do that, it's referencing the manga. Maybe. Uh, cause, like, a lot of the shots when they show the girls' faces kind of look very similar to the manga art style. Uh, there was a point in this episode when Miku and Uesugi were in the igloo. Oh, yeah. And it kind of just shows, like, an artsy picture of her face. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I think those are specifically like manga shots, mm, like maybe. specifically pages from the manga that they should adapt into pictures. Which I think is a really cool love letter to the to, to the, the source material. Yeah, exactly. I think it is really cool. I was just saying that it kind of looks like something that a Studio Shaft production might do. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're getting at for sure. Yeah, but uh, overall, like, yeah, that scene, like that scene was kind of was kind of sweet and then kind of sad, but mm. then. It also, at first, I was thinking, oh, hey, we're not resulting in the in the harem cliche of them ending up in a compromising position. Oh, wait, there it is. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's easy to forget that this show is a, a harem show at heart because, yeah. like, they, they do such a good job of subverting the normal harem tropes. And then every once in a while, they're like, yeah, let's, let's put one of those back in. Yeah, because, like... <laughs> uh, because when they accidentally knocked the log over, like, the log hit the door, caused an alarm to go off, and then sprinklers started going off because of the fire they'd lit. Which, can I point out, that's a really stupid decision to light a fire in a poorly ventilated room. I think they had windows. 
And like the top uh, sides of it? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, but... But Yeah, they had a fire alarm system that was set to go off with smoke, so yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, it wasn't smart. And then it just conveniently went off, like, after the impact had already happened at the door. Which, yeah, contextual fires, yeah. I mean, contextual sprinklers, I guess. And then, of course, they look like they're all wet. And then Ichigo, yeah. <laughs> Itsuki and Miku are just looking at them, and they just are not amused. They're just not impressed. Yeah. Uh, the, the skiing scene was pretty goofy. Yeah. I, I, I love Yusuba. but I love how expressive and cheerful she is about every single thing. Yeah, everything. She just cheers up. Uh, she's, she's like a medicine for my soul. <laughs> yeah, Yotsuba is... Yotsuba is a great girl. But it seems that Miku realized something mm. after spending some time with him in the igloo. Because uh, the, the episode cuts off with her calling up Ichiko saying, we need to talk about something. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, it does make me... And I thought at first that, that she was uh, that she was going to be calling Itsuki. Because it seemed like Itsuki was involved in... Uh, like, Itsuki was wearing an Ichiko wig and was basically spying on them. Was she? It, it seemed like it, didn't it? Mm. When? Like when they were getting ready to go down when they were getting ready to go down the hill and then like no. she was, like she was wearing sunglasses. Do you think that was actually Itsuki? Yeah, mean, because she was going up next to him and she said, You're not tell you haven't told anybody about yesterday, right? Mm. Re- referring to I might quit school. Mm. That was that was Ichika. I I think about like I think that's possible, but That was also- Ichika. Yeah. The uh, they they talked about the quitting school thing. No, they didn't say <laughs> I thought that maybe he misunderstood, like, he was thinking that's what she was talking about. It was, like, a misunderstanding situation. Because he made explicit reference to the fact, like, you know, so when you girls are just, with just your faces, it's kind of difficult to tell, like, who, to tell who's who. Tell us in the comments below who's a stupid idiot. Yeah, I... And it, why it's JT. <laughs> Fuck off, Rex. Anyway, so, yeah, me... I think then uh, the scene in the igloo was also really nice because uh, she realizes, because Yotz, he talks a little bit about Yotsuba and thinks that it's not necessarily fair to just discredit all the good, all the effort she puts forward. Yeah, like, she puts in a lot of, because uh, she, like, they were all about the same at one point, but she earned her athleticism. Yeah, it's, there's, there's so many moments in this, in this series where I'm like, it's so, like, inspirational. Yeah. And, and wholesome yeah where you expect them to just be like oh i like this girl yeah there's a lot of moments where it used to be genuinely like this is the good parts of this person this is why they're a good person yeah exactly and like, so, uh, like when um yotsubo was like with the basketball team she's yeah like, sorry i can't join you mm-hmm. i have other prior engagements yeah exactly and i think that uh it's important to note that uh i'm pretty sure that's what made miku reconsider because just like the idea of like let's not forget a person's effort and i think like it was actually Ichika who she had acknowledged had actually put in some legitimate effort and actually had spent the most time with him. So it could be like her trying to basically say, Ichika, you can go through with this. Uh, Yeah, maybe. It's either going to be that or her finally realizing that she wants to put in the effort to, like she, or it's it's probably her thinking that it's okay mm -hmm. for her to go after him if she, like if she wants to. It's not her being greedy. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that was, like, the main conflict she's been having over the past couple episodes. Yeah, that's true. Next up. Next up, Rising of the Shield Hero. So, in the most recent episode, the second wave has hit. Yeah. I, I So, I've recently come to the conclusion that I am still very unimpressed by the the Raid Shield 
I'm mad, so I'm gonna use my powers thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, it's very average, but it's still really cool to watch. It's, yeah. It's still, it's just fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, it, it's... I, the, the show has some some of the hiccup moments, definitely, but it's still, I think, like, leaps and bounds above the, the chaff of uh, Isekai. Yeah. Garbage. Yeah, exactly. That is that is very true. Now, so the episode before that, they were getting, they were basically preparing for the next wave because it was getting, because it was going to be coming mm-hmm. up soon. It was actually after uh, Malty had gotten rejected by Malfumi. Yeah, Philo gets upset uh, when Malty, when, when he, when uh, Malfumi's like, no, we're not going to help you. She's like, ah, I'm mad, I'm leaving. And I think it was like 10 minutes later, mm-hmm. she comes back and she's fine. I mean, she has... She has the mind of a child. She has a bird brain. Yeah, she's got a bird brain. There we go. That's how we explained it away, I guess. But uh, I think that it is it is a little bit weird that that happens. And, but we do get to see like a really cool moment from Naofumi. Like we see a bunch of uh, we see a bunch of soldiers from the village he had saved. No, they're just villagers. Oh, oh, they are just villagers. Yeah. That's right. That's why they all have shitty gear. Yeah, and they <laughs> just want to show up and say, "Hey, we want to help you." Yeah, it's basically an RPG party. Yeah. Like fighter, mage, healer, and archer. Yeah. And I'm th- pretty sure one of them was a demi-human, actually. Mm. But I don't know. Um, and he says, okay, you can join my party if you collect 150 silver to buy this. And he shows them, like, a really subpar accessory, really. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was uh, really cool of him. Because yeah. Because he realized that they all have shitty gear. And there's no point in bringing them along if they, unless they can get enough money to get better gear. Yeah, and that was actually the the whole point of this episode. Like, they show up at the end, it's like, here, we have 150 silver. Here, here we'll buy the accessory off of you. It's like, keep it for yourself and buy yourself some better gear. We leave it done. Yeah, exactly. And this most recent episode was the, uh, was the second wave, like dawn of the third day or whatever kind of a dawn of the third day type situation or dawn of the final well, uh, day well before we go on we we got to talk about bow hero and his oh, shenanigans yeah. with great power comes great responsibility it almost sounded like you got bit by a radioactive spider or yeah. something. <laughs> yeah i thought i just thought that was kind of funny but it's been a consistent theme so far in this series that the other three heroes have been making messes, and Nafumi has had to go clean up those messes. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, the most recent one was the uh, the bow hero went to go save like a um, uh, save like a town that had been basically like overtaxed by a very corrupt green yeah, lord. He, he went in and beat the guy up, and then left. And it didn't change anything. It just yeah, put another person. It in put power. like a group. It put the revolutionary group that he put in char- that he had started with. That he fought alongside in charge, and they were just as bad, mm-hmm. pretty much. It's just it's like when you're at the bottom, just a village, a villager. It's like it's not going to change anything for you unless someone's actually coming to give you things. Exactly. Like you're still living in the same town. You're still, you know. Didn't they like also increase the taxes? Or, Something or, or like that. They kept that. the taxes really high as well because they're like, oh well, we need to rebuild things, so we need taxes. Mm-hmm. And they and mm-hmm. a lot of people were dying as a result, and. There's yeah, now the... Fumi calls everybody out on their bullshit. Like he calls both Ren and uh, and uh, Itsuki out on their on basically. It's like mm-hmm. you guys keep screwing up. It's like I had to deal with problems that you left behind. Yeah, the the bow hero thing seems a little too proud. To yeah, realize that he was wrong. And there's also the church. Uh, or the the king being a shithead again when they went to get class upgrades. Yeah, it's like oh, no, we've actually received royal orders that we can't give you class upgrades. It's like 
And then they go to the slave trader, who's actually turning out to be a better person than the fucking king. I don't know about that. I don't know if I'd call him a better person. He still sells slaves. Yeah. He's just... He sees Nafumi as a profitable business partner, so mm-hmm. he's willing to help him in certain situations. Well, okay, that's... You know what? That's totally fair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, BuzzFeed? <laughs> JT supports slavery? <laughs> no, I don't. I just... Uh, it's just interesting. It was actually a pretty cool way, though, that they uh, used him to, like, show more of the world. Like, it's like, oh, by the way, you can just do this in any of the other countries. Yeah, that's definitely an organic way of yeah. world building. Yeah, I thought that uh, was... was it, I love how one of the countries was like, Shieldville or something like that. Something like that. It was Shield something, and he's like, we'll go there! Shieldhaven, maybe? I don't I don't know. Yeah, I think that was uh, where I, all the demi-humans were at, is what he said. Something like that, yeah. I think... And I think that was pretty cool. Uh... And I actually think they were, like, non-hostile demi-humans. They were, like, more, quote-unquote, civilized demi-humans. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're more likely to accept people. Yeah. Um, I think that, uh, and going back to the most recent episode, though, the wave has finally hit. The, I gotta say that I was actually kind of unimpressed with this. Which part of it? Uh, most of this episode. Like, were you unimpressed with badass monk grandma? Okay, that aside, <laughs> that was really cool, and it kind of was a nice tie-in to something he'd done before, because that was a lady that he had given medicine. I loved his responses. What did I give her? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, she's just a badass monk grandma. That, yeah, I think she was like that before, and she just got sick. Yeah, but still, it was super cool. Like, that aside, like, other than that, like, it was just like a really, like, static fight on a fucking ship. Yeah, the whole... The whole sequence was, um, it was pretty much like, I, uh, you guys are doing bad. I'm smart, so I'm going to come in and save the day. Uh, uh, well, the, the raid shield bit, I think, was handled a little bit better this time around. Yeah. Because I mean, they didn't make it out to be this super huge dramatic scene. Mm-hmm. They did a little bit when, in, when, um, Raftalia was, like, in his memories, and he's like, oh, I can control it now. Yeah. Uh, the Iron Maiden, I, th- I think that animation... Okay, that was super cool. was really cool to watch. Yeah, and then how he just, like, kind of does the thing where he, like, closes it. Mm-hmm. That was also really cool. Uh, I think that... I think that it was also cool how when Naofumi was looking around, it's like, okay, there's gotta be a faster way to spawn a soul eater. And then he just looks at the shadow, he's like, hey, Raftalia, cast light right there. Um, just sort of paying it paying attention to like subtle details like that there were some let me just say there were some good details about this episode but overall it was kind of just felt like build up kind of boring yeah it was a uh, it, it definitely seems like it was a um a lead up to this next villain it, like it definitely didn't feel like a threatening a threat uh, what's the word threatening mm-hmm. it didn't feel like a threatening wave yeah because like the first one i think was a lot more threatening because we got to see the, all the villagers getting attacked and everything in this uh in this one it was just like the wave started and three hours passed. Yeah. Like, uh, you're not conveying to us, the audience, how threatening the wave actually is. I think that, that, and they probably did a lot of that off screen, like, basically saying, like, now Fumi's troops saying, oh yeah, by the way, we've evacuated every, we've evacuated all the villagers and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm, like, I believe it happened, mm-hmm. but I don't feel how threatening this situation is as an audience member. I mean, and I will say that it actually is a little bit cool, like, seeing Naofumi getting involved in what the other heroes were already doing, like, in the last wave. And, is it Melty or Malty? It's Melty. Wait, is it Melty the younger sister, or is it Malty is, like, the older sister? Mine? 
Yeah, mine or also I don't, know, I don't remember. It's probably I don't remember her actual name. But anyway, she's still a bitch. Yeah, she's still a fucking unrepentant bitch. Uh, like she's almost comically evil. I got Nafumi basically just says, "Bitch, shut up." Yeah, like why I'm don't still you go talking? To, why, like why don't you go defend a village or something? Well, an incompetent hero who can't fight isn't worth isn't worth anything here. Who's really incompetent here? It's like <laughs> I thought that was really cool, and then how uh. It's interesting to see her get all pissy when uh, when Mautiasu actually says, hey, I actually need to do something here. It's like, no, you can't help him. It's like, it doesn't, it defies everything that you've done so far as a character. No, I have to help him. Like, the script says that I have to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think the heroes are definitely, like, they, they did before, they defended him before, obviously. Yeah. Um, against the king. Uh, but I think they're slowly probably getting more and more on his side. I think eventually it's going to be mine and the king mm-hmm. are going to be like the only ones. They're going to be the pariahs, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, they're going to, they're going to, and the, the heroes are going to be all working together eventually. I'm sure. I yeah. I, I hope that Malfumi doesn't completely forget all the shitty stuff that people have done to him. Oh yeah. But it 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 would be you know good of him to move on from it and think of you know the people's safety first. Absolutely. I think that uh, I think that this episode also just. Uh, like, seeing him, like, seeing the re- uh, ramifications of the zombie dragon, that whole fight was actually really cool. It was it was a step in the right direction, I think, for the mm-hmm. rage shield. Yeah, and it was cool seeing how it affected uh, Philo. Yeah. It was, like, a kind of... Because Philo is his, uh, like, his slave mm-hmm. still, I think. Yeah. For, for, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, it, the game mechanics, I think, did that, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that was the case because Raftalia has a slave crest and yeah, she true. wasn't and she wasn't affected. I was actually curious if it had something more to do with the fact that she had actually been like attacked by that dragon or something or hated dragons, so that's what spurred the rage in her. It made me I'm just yeah, curious. Maybe she's more susceptible to it. Yeah. Because it Well, she is actually more of a beast. Yeah. So I guess there's that. Yeah, there is that. And I think it was pretty cool how Raftalia stood up for him and basically said, "Why are you? What the hell are you people doing? Actually, help us!" Very good sake. audience representation there. Yeah, exactly. Just and, stop uh, standing around like morons. And now we got uh, Glass, this Who, new villain that showed up in this challenge. Now Fumi to a duel. The and apparently sees Now Fumi as the one true hero. Is that because he unlocked the curse series? I, I wonder. I was actually curious if she might have been somebody from another world who was brought here, or if she was a dead yeah, in this world. Be, yeah. I, I don't know. Like, it could just... Glass could just be an alias. Yeah, well, that would be interesting if she was, uh... If she was a, a, a person that was summoned for the bad people side. Yeah, that would be super cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, last up is Run With The Wind. Um... Two really good episodes. Yeah, like, really, really, like, touching moments. Lots of interesting introspective on the characters. Haiji mm-hmm. uh, is telling people that his leg is fine. Yeah. Like his doctor showed up and they were worried about it, but he says, it's fine. I don't think that's true. <laughs> yeah. Haiji has been kind of a little too prideful to tell people about stuff like that, so. Yeah, and I and I definitely think he wants everyone to focus on the race itself. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll finish the race. Don't worry about it. So first up, we had uh, Yuki's race. Which oh his, my god. His main conflict was, uh, well, part of it was like his family. And yeah. His mom wanted to remarry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other one being him realizing how, like, when he's going down the hill, he's realizing how fast he can run. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and realizing Kakadu does this all the time. 
Like this, uh, this must be such a, a lonely world to live in when mm-hmm. you're the only one who can run this fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he runs so fast that his feet start to bleed. I don't think it was so much running fast as it was his feet being slammed up against yeah. his shoes from okay. running downhill. Yeah, that could be it too. Because like, he was taking huge, like huge um, gates yeah. going downhill. Huge strides. That's yeah. gonna put so much like pressure on your foot. Yeah, that is true. But at the same time. And he passes the uh, the sash on to Nico, which that was a really cool little uh, moment from, like, a little bit of flashback from him. Like, something we'd already kind of seen before. Like, the, uh, like, oh, it's like, I like running. I've always liked running. My coach told me that I'm probably not the best suited for running because I'm a bigger guy. Yeah, it, I, Nico has a really simple mm-hmm. uh, thing to deal with. Yeah. Because a lot of people have, like, all oh, my family or I have to do this for certain people. Nico's conflict was literally just, I want to run because it's fun. Yeah, I want to, <laughs> I want to run the way I want to. It's because it, it, his because his coach was telling like, oh, you you shouldn't run because yeah. you're you're not going to be the best at it. Yeah, uh, and, but it's just like and Nico he, even acknowledge, and Nico even acknowledges, you know, I'm pretty sure he didn't mean it to be like he didn't mean yeah, that to yeah. be an asshole. And he, he was a good coach. Yeah, but but he just same, want like the, at the end of the day, he just wanted to do long distance running because it was fun. Yeah, exactly. It was just so. Uh, so heartfelt to, yeah. to hear that and on top of and it kind of makes sense like seeing like why he smoked so much and stuff like that and just how much time and effort he actually put into it as well like mm-hmm. how much like dieting and quitting smoking how difficult it was to actually over to do all that just so that he could run the way he wanted to mm-hmm. and seeing him actually pass people super cool. yeah like he there's he realized he's like whoa am i running this fast yeah he's <laughs> <laughs> realizing he's actually a lot faster than he thought he was uh, I think he climbed a few ranks mm. in the run, um, mm-hmm. but he didn't do too well. Yuki got, like, second in his section yeah. in terms of time. Yeah, he was, like, just behind the other person. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that was just really nice seeing Nico have fun. Yeah, exactly. And the end of the episode was, like, we're starting King's section, and we begin the next episode with the with basically King lamenting over, like, basically what it means to run. Because that's... Again, the series has just been pretty much like, what does running mean to each individual person? Mm-hmm. And King's was basic. I think King's was probably one of the more relatable ones, at least to me. Yeah, he he wanted to be somebody. He wanted to do something with his life. Um, I, I think he was like worried that he never really stood out. Yeah. And, and the thing about running is that when he was running, he didn't need to stand out. It was just him and everyone else who was just running. Yeah. Everyone's on equal. Like he didn't field. like he didn't like he didn't need to put up a front. He didn't need to put up a facade. Like and without all those restraints, he was finally able to face who he truly was. And what he realized he was is he's nobody. But yeah. there's nothing wrong <laughs> with But there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, exactly. And like you don't need to be this big icon to to enjoy yourself or yeah, like, be happy. Like you, you can he he has friends. Yeah. He has fun with running, and, and it's just like a, it's a simple existence, and that's not a bad thing. Yeah, exactly. Just because he placed so many expectations on himself. He's got to be, like, the best at this. He's, It's just, like, he didn't know exactly what he wanted out of life, or what exactly he, or what exactly, like, and was afraid of, like, what other people thought of him, and kept people at a distance as a result. It's an incredibly relatable situation. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, just... uh, it was cool how Haiji reminds him, or Haiji calms him down because he's like getting, he's really pissed off at yeah. um, 
Sakaki. Yeah. He's making fun of him. He's like, oh, well, I told him he's not the best, and now he's beating me so easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I love how I was like, when you get to the place, remember to tell me that trivia answer. Yeah, and then <laughs> that, are you ready to buzz in with your answer? Are you ready to buzz in with your answer? I've said it before. <coughs> I'll say it again. Haiji is just so in touch with each and every one of the members on his team. Yeah. <laughs> and then right before uh, King section ends, like... He, uh, Haiji talks with uh, Kudahara, basically gives him a word of encouragement, saying that, to me, you're the strongest runner I've ever seen. Like, just be, or you're the best runner I've ever seen. Just become stronger. Like, I don't know if you'll be able to beat Fujioka, but I've seen the way you run. I think that you are the greatest runner. Like, I think that you could easily surpass Fujioka. Yeah, that was a really cool speech, because it doesn't put a lot of expectations on him. Yeah. But it also doesn't tell him that he's going to lose, either. Yeah. Exactly. And then, like, when Kudahara find Like, right before Kudahara starts running, he says, uh, Joji, or was it Jota? One of the twins. I think it was Joji. He says, I've fallen in love, too. With who? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I'm assuming probably with running. Yeah, probably. probably what he's going to say. Yeah. I'll watch it out of nowhere, he's going to be like, with Haiji! <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, I think it was kind of hilarious. I mean, it was not hilarious. It was very touching when you just see, like, uh, when he actually starts running for, like, a fraction of a second. You just see, like, this kind of lit up smile on Kakaru's face. Like, it's just the pure, unbridled joy of running. Yeah. Just in, like, that. like a child. Yeah, just that fraction of a second you see it. And Kuda and uh, Joji is still like, wait, who are you in love with? Uh, uh, there's there's a lot of really cool artistic symbolism in this episode with Cockadoo's running. Yeah, like the hunter's eye thing. Like, hey, there's three people right ahead. Like, zoom in on them. Yeah, and then he just like it kind of time skips. He's like, I'm already ahead of them. Yeah, that was so cool. <laughs> uh, and, and then just seeing his entire body melt away, and he was only concentrating on running. That was the only thing he was thinking of. Like not even like not even the clothes on his back. Not yeah. His part. No, there was the sash still on his chest. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because that was, like, the one important thing was yeah. the sash. Uh, yeah, it's really cool, just all that uh, different symbolism. And, and, like, later on when, uh, I think it was near, uh, the, oh, yeah, the trance is what I'm talking about. Yeah. How he has a trance, and he, but it's, like, a, it's like a healthier version of it. Yeah. So I want to say, like, earlier in the season, he got really into running, but he was, like, so dead focused on it. Like, this time he was just in a in a trance realizing, like, am I running fast? Is my pace well? Yeah. And he's kind of not noticing anything else around him. Uh, and, and that's interesting because before the race, he was so, like, focused on uh, Fujioka, like yeah. his name is, uh, and how and about beating him. And then as soon as he started running, he forgot about everything else. Yeah. And then even, uh, he even just said, I don't really care. I don't really care about my apparent position. All I care about is my time. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty much, that's pretty much all that mattered to him. It's just, he wants to be, he wants to do well for the rest of the team. Like he's got something to run for now. And, uh, well, I think the, the title of this episode was Run with the Wind. Uh, I think so. Or I'm pretty sure that was the title of this episode. It uh, might've been, it might've also just been verb glitching out. Uh, near the end, uh, well, at the end of the episode when it cuts off, it was really interesting to see, like, he, he slowly kind of starts combining with the wind, it looks like. Yeah. And he takes wind inside of him, you see, like, this big swirl in his chest, and mm. then there's just, like, a big flash. Yeah. And the episode cuts off. Yeah, that's that was super cool. Like, this, I am so looking forward to this final, uh, to this final episode. Yeah, we're gonna see him finish, and then probably the Haiji run, and then a little aftermath, probably. Yeah, I, I want, I want Haiji to not fuck up his leg, <sighs> but... It's gonna be, I, I, I have a feeling it's gonna be fucked up. Yeah, I don't know. 
just this series has got me tense. Like I I think we got most of the feels out of the way with Shindo, but I don't know. I really don't know anymore. Yeah. And I'm nervous. So anyway, that's going to be it for this week of the Time Sing Anime Podcast. This is a little bit longer of an episode. A lot I, of stuff to catch up on. Yeah, a lot of, of stuff to catch up on because of last week. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I'm having a really good time with the season. Yeah, it's, next, uh, next week is the finale for a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's the finale for a lot of things. Um, there I'm sure there will be a lot more interesting finales. Mm-hmm. than there was this week. Yeah, there was only one <laughs> thing that had a finale this week. And that yeah, was, I know. Yeah, and it wasn't particularly interesting. No, we're not going to say any names. Yeah, we're not going to say any just names. be rude. Yeah, but anyway, so next, and then sometime next week after we uh, do week 13 and get, are getting ready to do uh, week one of spring 2019. Holy crap, it's going to be weird just getting used to saying that from now on. Of course. We're going to be doing our uh, winter 2019 wrap-up. So if you want to get, if you want to see that, just remember to su- remember to subscribe, comment, and keep this yeah, discussion you, uh, going. Comment. If you have anything that uh, you, you you saw this week that you thought was interesting, yeah, go ahead and leave a comment. And, uh, and we'll you want to, if you want to say how much of fucking idiots we are and stuff, <laughs> then go ahead and leave a comment there. If, if you just like hear, if you just like hearing us talk and ramble about stupid shit, then just Those guys don't know what they're talking about <laughs> anime. <laughs> yeah, if you want to just see like see more of this and just like hearing us ramble about stupid stuff, just leave a like as well. Been fun, you guys. Till next week. Anchor away. Take care of yourselves. Bye.